coming off of Eagles week. Usually you get a letdown coming off of a gigantic win the way that the 49ers did, but not this week. Because this week, the 49ers have the Seattle Seahawks. And regardless of what the records say, this game is always fun. This game is a rivalry. And beating Seattle always feels great. Let's hope the 49ers can do it. But before we get there, we've got to talk all about this matchup. And I've got my behind enemy lines guest for the week. We're going to talk about the 49ers and the Seahawks, and we're going to do it next. All right, welcome back to Last Second Sports, where we are giving you our take down to the last second. And it's Wednesday, so it means we've got behind enemy lines, and I've got none other. It's only been a couple weeks since we've done this show, but we're going to go more in depth tonight. We both have a little bit more time. Brandon, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I mean, it's great to be in the house with you. That's off the bat, but it's definitely under circumstances that are less than ideal. I'd like to be coming in here talking a lot of trash, telling you about what we're going to be doing to you guys this week, about why you guys even going to show up for the game. And I can't do that this week. I don't have that uh, confidence instilled in me right now. We're going to hopefully give you a good fight, but it's more in the nature of, you know, cornered rabbit animal, you, you know, kind of maybe potential fight at this point, it looks like so, but it's great to be in here. I appreciate you always having me in your house here and uh, chopping it up. Absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting because <laughs> normally, and we talked about this a little bit backstage, when both teams are good, that's when this thing's at its best. And of course, I love watching Seattle lose the way that they have been. But I also like it when they're better and the 49ers are, are good because that rivalry's awesome. But it's it's interesting hearing you talk about Seattle and and. I'm starting to get a little bit of feeling that maybe the fan base is is down on the season and it was supposed to be a better season and all those things. But if you listen to 49er fans, we're talking about trap game all week long. So it's it's almost as if 49er fans, as much as they hate Seattle, they are respecting Seattle more than you guys are giving them credit for at this, this point. So it is an interesting dichotomy that we're seeing going into this game. We'll see if it changes at all, but Man, it uh, it does seem like it's lost its luster a little bit, and that's kind of disappointing. It is. We we would have loved to have given you guys a bigger fight, and as we talked at the start of the season, we are trying to get to that Super Bowl window place you guys are at, and that's what we're we're reaching for, and we're not there yet. And uh, so that does have us in a place of trying to figure out. I think that you know, Niner fans are probably right for looking at this game as potentially a trap game. You had the Seahawks on Thanksgiving. Then you got to come right back to the Eagles the next week. Those are two games. Now you're coming back to Seattle, but it's Seattle that looks like they're waning a little bit. You're riding high. You're at home. There's a, maybe a thought process there that uh, you know they'll, they'll drop their guard a little bit. And as we see in the NFL, it doesn't matter what team you are, where you are, any given Sunday, You know it's, it's an axiom for a reason, and it applies. And then if you just drop your guard a bit, that's all it takes for the team on the other side of the field to take advantage of you. And you are going to probably get a pretty desperate hungry, you know, fighting with every inch that they can fight this week, Seattle Seahawks team. Yeah, they definitely should be desperate. I mean, this is a team that is not in the playoffs if it started today. They don't own the tiebreakers with the Rams because the Rams beat them twice. 
And they have Philly, I believe, next week, right? Seattle plays Philly next week. So this is a tough two-game stretch. They have to come out of this stretch winning at least one of these games. And you would like to get it done early. You would also like to win a division game in case it comes down to it. So, yeah, this is really, truly about as much of a must-win as it can be for the Seahawks. And we're going to talk. We're gonna have a couple topics specifically about the game. But I also want to talk long-term about Seattle and San Francisco and what we can expect with this rivalry going forward. But starting with the game that is at hand on Sunday, Brandon, what has to be different for Seattle to compete and potentially win this game from the last time that they played? Well, I think that... uh hammering in the middle uh, in the rushing attack against the Niners and then um, defensively sitting back in soft zones is maybe not the best way to go considering that that's been at the forefront a bit of what you've tried to do for the last what, 0-4 I believe the last four games we played this last year and a half so something maybe deviating a little bit outside of that structure um, but I, I you know I've been calling week in and week out for certain things to adjust from a schematic perspective or a tactical perspective or anything. And that's really not the team's modus operandi. They are who they are. They do what they do. And um, I play, remember I wrote you, I had a quote that I brought from B enemy that he was talking about the Seahawks uh, defense that you're speaking about nuts, but you can apply it to both. And it's the overarching issue. I think that's on this team right now is that we're not really going to do different things. Um, I, I know that I can say things like, I think we should pressure and blitz more because our defense hasn't done anything good this year. And that's been one of the good things that we've done. Not that I'm one of those cliche fans telling you that we got a blitz, man. Blitz, that's where you're going to get it right now. That's not what I'm trying to say, but just this is what you've done well when you've done nothing else well across the board, from tackling to playing the run to, to vending the pass. And so I, I say that, but we won't do that. We don't want to do that. Um, I can point to individual guys that are graded by PFF and their pass rushing grades as blitzers that are phenomenal in their in their grades, but we will not do that. We'll sprinkle it in. We're going to try to trust our front four, which as you guys saw in the last four times we played you, we don't have the front four that can generate pass rush on their own like the Niners defense can. What do you, so it's I, I don't know. to I could give you some things that I'd love to see, like a little more pressure-based stuff, a little more willingness to play man, not that it's an end-all, be-all solution, to stopping the Niners offense, but at least it's something different to what we tried. Remember, we talked about this in the playoffs last year, right? <laughs> Remember, we talked about this. And I, 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 Brandon, I, I have to stop you only because I, I hear the frustration in your voice. And it's not even frustration. It's almost like a, I hear the fatigue in your voice because I know that I've heard you talk about this last year. I know that I heard you talk about this when we did our show before the season started, our preview show, I heard you talk about this just over two weeks ago. And and now it's like, you're just so tired of saying the same thing and knowing it's not going to change. You're so frustrated with it. I, I can I can feel it oozing from you. I really can. It, it It's just gotten to that point. And I just feel like I'm way, I'm, I feel like literally I'm wasting breath or just trying to come up with stuff because it's just, they're not going to do it. And, and, and it, on a weekly basis, you know, you're just faced with these little collection of plays on defense on a day, for instance, where you don't cause even one punt where the, the couple of collections of defensive plays that you do do good stuff on are on the black of blitzing, right? You know, it, and it, I can almost do this on a week. I did a whole show based around it this past week on Sunday. And I'm just like, here, here, let's go through the season. Every individual game, here's a collection of plays. The defense played horribly on this day, but here's some things we did good. Rest of the day, you're in a front four. And 
I ask you, I and I, I your 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 um your chat and your subscribers were kind enough to respond to my comment section after I posted my video recap on that first game. And I'm going to ask you the question now, you know, which was, do you guys see the Rams offense and the Seahawks offense right now? Do you guys see any difference in strategy? We've played you these four games. You guys have no dog in this fight as far as this question is concerned. Do you see any applicable change in strategy over that four game stretch and how the Seahawks have attacked the Niners either offensively or defensively? No. Not at all. Not at all. I, no, I, 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 no, I rest my case, your <laughs> honor. I rest my case. We went into that playoff game last year. You and I sat down and I said, look, we got, we don't have a big chance to win this game. We don't have a healthy nose tackle right now. I don't know how we're going to hold up against McCaffrey, but I, I'll tell you what I would do. I'd go down fighting. I'd go down swinging. Nobody expects you to win the game anyway. So if you get blown out and it's because you went to Blitzburg city, so be it. At least you tried something different against that team that had beaten you twice last through the year doing that. But no, that's us leaving our philosophy and who we are, and you can't leave who you are. And so you just keep kind of trying the same thing. So what you will see this week is a front four defense, much like the Niners run, minus the wide nine approach. You're going to see soft zone coverage on the back end with the Seahawks dropping kind of an umbrella-like look if you were to be seeing, you know, kind of like a three, four-man umbrella look if you're just looking at it from an all-22. There's always the umbrella on top of the coverage as it swoops back. So you're going to see that. Um, offensively, we're going to refuse to run fly sweeps like you guys do. So you don't have to worry about that. Don't don't even have to defend that, really, if you think about it. Um, also, probably only going to run about one or two pitch plays on the day and maybe one outside zone run. So if you really wanted to, you could compound your run defense right down to the A and B gaps post-snap, and which is what a lot of teams are doing. You know, it's like an amoeba. You just feel the whole amoeba sucked down to the A and B gaps. And uh, you probably will have some success. Now, if we deviate from that, being that when we have deviated from those approaches this year, you, we might find some success with it. Not to say that it'll beat you guaranteed or that I have some, I, I don't have the end all be all solution. There's a variety of problems here. So I don't want to say like, I know which is the right path. I hope that doesn't come off as that, but the team just doesn't apply different types of strategies like other teams might employ. Um, your Niners, for instance, last week, we led a, a couple of weeks ago, we led into the Thursday game. And I said, you know, these stack fronts have been giving our offensive line issues. Your Niners team doesn't want to run a lot of stack fronts. I know that you want to trust your front four, but I might dial it up a little bit this week. Again, as an unbiased observer, again, somebody that doesn't have a dog in the fight. Am I wrong to say that I think you guys ran maybe a little more stack fronts again? Not like it was at, you know, turn it up to final tap 11, but you dialed up some of those stack fronts in that game and you brought it at us seeing that, Hey, their film shows they're having problems with this. Let's utilize that. Let's, let's take advantage of that. And you guys did, especially in the second half, I felt like you really started to bring some of that into bear and uh, it only then made the front four tougher. It just, it, it's, that's the stuff we don't do that. I wish we did do. And I, I don't have a lot of explanation, right? I'm frustrated. And I don't have a lot of answers for why we don't at this point, you think they would be at the place of God, try something. Yeah. I mean, I think something that might change and help this, this time around versus last time. If Kenneth Walker is healthy, that would be a major get back. We'll, we'll see if he's able to play. It, it sounds like it's iffy. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to question anybody's injury and I don't know how serious it is. All I know is that CMC seemed to have had a pretty bad oblique injury himself and he played the next week. It's now been a few weeks for Walker. I would think the hope would at least be that maybe he'll try to give it a go. They need him to give it a go. But if he's not healthy, he's not healthy. But the possibility is, is that he's there. And then you've got, unless he got hurt again last week, Abe Lucas should be back, right? 
was he mm-hmm. back a couple weeks ago? Okay, so that's yeah, good. that's helpful. And then Eric Armstead, who is a big reason why we stopped the run, is likely not going to play. He got banged up in this last game. So if Kenneth Walker plays, Abe Lucas there, no Eric Armstead, the chances of success running the ball should be a lot higher. And maybe they are able to de- deploy that a little bit. I do want to get to these two comments before I lose them real quick. And they they kind of tie hand in hand with each other. Shades by Chardal says, sorry, Jesse, but you hyped up the Seahawks as well before the year. The Rams are better. And then Jacob says, Jesse, ask him why they traded for Williams with the back end that can't cover. Here's what I want to say. Seattle is very talented, very talented team. They don't have a secondary that can't cover. That is not the issue. In fact, they have a very, very good secondary. They have a schematic issue. A major schematic problem in Seattle is what I'm seeing. Talent is not the issue in Seattle. They've got a lot of talent, tons of talent. That defense should be one of the best defenses in the league if schemed properly. But they're awful. They, they're taking a bunch of, of players who really could play a lot and do a lot of the same things that Cleveland did against the 49ers. They could run press man. They could give the 49ers some problems with that. But instead, they're taking elite corners and saying, oh, you know what? Instead of doing what they do best, let's make them play soft zone coverage and allow these teams to get catches underneath and then we'll just be really good tacklers. But both these guys can cover and play press man. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't get it. Obviously, Brandon doesn't get it. The issue is not talent. And where I was coming from this offseason was from a talent perspective, looking at a team that had just made the playoffs, upgraded their talent in a big way. I expected that schematically they would be able to handle their own. Those coaches, in my opinion, are failing the players because they do. You go roster for roster. They've got, in my opinion, top five, top seven roster in this league, but they're likely not going to make the playoffs. And I think that comes down to coaching. Yeah, and you know who else uh, well said on your part? You know who else agrees with you, Jesse? Coach Carroll. Two years ago, and why Jesse was anticipating this step forward, why I've been anticipating and why I've talked about it with Jesse for the last couple of years every time I've gone on a show, is because two years ago, our head coach at the Combine said, you know, we've been holding on to this old defense for too long. You can still go find this Combine interview. It was from two years ago, right before the Russell Wilson trade. It's online still. It's out there. Um, he said, you know, we've been arrogant in our approach. We've held on to the old for too long. The old being the old LOB defense, which at the heart of it, you have to understand, we don't have to get into the X's and O's. We can go down to the depths of that if you guys want. But the, the real big picture of it is this. It's a defense that's built to prevent the big play. That's at the forefront of what it's trying to do. And so he's, he's saying, we've got to go away from that. He brings in Sean Desai. He, he flips out the defensive coordinator. It's right at the same time we did this on the offensive side of the ball too, by the way, where we flipped out the offensive coordinator for the Rams offense, for the Rams offense and McVay and how he was running it. And he goes at this time, this is what we're doing, folks. You can anticipate. We've heard your voice. We've heard your frustrations, America, and we're going to change. And that's what they told you they were going to do. And now they've proceeded to not do that on either side of the ball the last two years. It's hard when you cover these teams to have them go a long period of time where something breaks, then they finally go, okay, we finally acknowledge it's breaking. We're going to try to do something about it. And then you keep going along for the next year and a half. And you're like, they're going to do something about it at some point here. 
some point here, they're going to do something about it. Um, the Leonard Williams trade is one that get people get caught up on, on the rental aspect of it, which I think is, um, not necessarily the right way to look at that one. I, I understand it's not a good trade at this point. Some of that is on the internal in-house and their own assessment of where the team is at. And if it is one player away from, um, you know, from getting there, um, some of it, it could also be that the position was in such a desperate state that you had to make this move just to simply keep your head above water for after all, ever since you've gotten Leonard Williams, he's been the best player in the defensive line and your defensive defense as a whole has gotten worse. Um, so that's hard again to anticipate that that's going to break that way. Exactly. Um, but the other thing with the defensive line thing is it's probably not going to be a rental. I would imagine he's going to be the highest priority free agent in-house for the team. And a big part of them going out and reaching for that trade was that we couldn't go find that defensive lineman out there in free agency. It wasn't that we we had two second rounders. We've, we've spent the last couple of years on edges. You got the money to a Chen and Nuosu. Daryl Taylor's a former second round pick. So you needed somewhere on the interior and the last couple drafts have not been fruitful for defensive linemen. And there's not a lot of guys, if you look around the league at the good quality ones, teams aren't letting them go, including, you know, you guys let, uh, you know, I know you guys let the DeForest Buckner go a couple years ago, but you did kind of bring back Eric Armstead. Um, you know, you've held on to Kinlaw to let him find his footing there. Um, and if you look around the league at all the contract extensions to defensive linemen this offseason, there's about a dozen of them almost. Nobody's letting theirs go if they've got a good one. They're hard to find. You hold on to them. And so this was a little bit about we don't know if we're going to be able to get it in free agency because we don't have a lot of cap space. So let's get this now. Let's get them in-house. Let's sell them on the culture and then try to get them on an extension. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I think going back to the comment of you know talent and me thinking the team was going to be better than what it was, which – I wholeheartedly, I mean, definitely, I talked about them being in a threat all offseason, and I've talked up Witherspoon, who I think is a fantastic player. He still makes plays every single week. I was banking on the roster being better, good results, and the team being better, and I didn't realize that the coaching would somehow get worse. I, I did not anticipate that. Definitely a miss on my part, and the Seahawks are not as good as what I anticipated. But it's not from a talent aspect. It, it is 100% coaching. So You can't give defensive or offensive coordinators and coaches built-in advantages in your scheme. And there's a there's a, a very much a debate raging amongst the Hawk fan base right now about is this a talent issue or a scheme issue? We just need better players. And it is an old-school thinking to think it's just the players. That's old-school football. In the 80s and 90s, you probably could sell me for it's really just about getting the talent. Yeah, scheme helps. But the game has evolved. It does not remain the same as like it was not the same as it is in 1950 to 1980. Is just like it's not the same now from how it was in the 1980s. And you've got to adapt and adjust with it. And if you give these coaches so many built-in advantages, if I can hand Mike Shanahan in his offense and I can say, okay, Mike, I'm going to tell you what, here's what's going to probably happen every single play when you go up against the Seahawks. Here's something that you can tell your quarterback to predetermine is going to be built in there. You're going to get a single high safety on the top. You're going to get the corners probably in off coverage, dropping with bail technique post-snap. Let's, again, try to get to, to this to a simplistic state. Knowing a guy like Shanahan, all the detail-driven, how hard it is for him when he's got to deal with those defenders up in the box to still create the space for the players and the way he does not drawing up a play, to give him that knowledge and understanding pre-snap about where your guys are going to be, knowing that his whole playbook is not established on trying to take nine-route shots over the top. Or, or big post. He'll take a post-route every once in a while, but it's not the bread and butter of the offense. And so you're, you're defending a space that Shanahan's not really trying to attack. 
And then you're leaving vulnerabilities to all of the places that he does want to attack. And it flips the very same way to the other side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's clear. It's all over film. Dave says, Jesse, just killing it all day, every day. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. He says, Seahawks fans are delusional, huh? He's not talking about you, Brandon. I think he's talking about the the chat. I mean, I, I think listening <laughs> to Brandon, he's pretty level-headed. And yes, I'm... Sh- they're fans. We're delusional too. I think all fan bases have a little bit of delusion. Oh, in them. United I'm fans got a. We need some hope right now. I say, Hawk fans out there, you know, you got to understand my, <laughs> my my Hawk contingent right now. This has been a rough season, you know, and you're you're just it's we've had to really take some punches. So people are trying to, <laughs> you know, we're still fighting in this. We ain't at, you know by any means eliminated, and uh, you know they're looking to try to still fight. And I appreciate that. And like I said, we're not going to just lay over this week. That's for sure. I don't expect that. But absent us making some adjustments, that's where I I wonder how we can stay in it. Yeah. And Gammon, if you remember last time we did a show, Gammon was the one that was calling out your scheme and and asking you about it. And you were very impressed with what he was saying. And today he says, congrats for your offense outscoring your kicker, which I mean, it's kind of a cheap shot, but not really. Not not really. I mean, the way things have gone. The kicker we're paying at the two high, what second highest paid kicker in the sport, who's hitting about 80% of his kicks. Being that highest kid, by the way, like he's also as they can't even go. You don't even get in this season to go. Well, yeah, at least we got the kicker. It's like no, he's hitting eighty percent, which would put him, you know, bottom twenty in the league as far as accuracy goes. Yeah. <laughs> just the silver linings are not many this year, folks. We're uh, we're here for the jokes. You know, Brother Bob it. says, "Oh, it's my guy with the ugly flag." Come on, bro. Thirty-four six niners. He was getting you last time with the flag comments. Uh, oh, I know. Killing me. Killing me. JP Hellehard says sea chickens are not physical enough to deal with the 49ers. I mean, maybe. I don't know if it's as much of that. I I I I think it's more of just you have a scheme that allows for conversions to come on and go on throughout the game. A defense gets worn down throughout the game. You you have an offense that's simplistic to play that, you know, it, it just there's to me it, and I'm and I'm kind of har- really harping on this at this point because of its this is where we've got it, in my opinion, as a fan base concentrate so we can deal with the root issue and not be dealing with symptoms. And that's really at the root, the root issue. I think if we had a scheme to back these guys up, we could stand toe to toe physicality. I'm not saying that'd make us a better team. Like I said, I don't think this would be an end all be all solution to everything, but I think it would help. You know, I think it would definitely, you know, even it would, it would close the gap, I believe. Uh, Radu says, only way I see us winning this game is if our offense keeps up. Defense is shot. Blitz would definitely help, and Kenny is not going to help if Pete is here. Oh, God, it just sounds so bleak, man. My gosh. It's brutal right now, man. It's a uh, dark Dave, time here. We're 90, we're 90s, we're 90s grunge era dark right now. Oh, so, yeah, that's 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 the state of mind we're in right now. Okay. I'm gonna be next tell next time you're with me, I'm gonna have long hair. I'm gonna have a weird goatee. Um, you know, I might be speaking in ethereal terms to you. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where I'm at at that point. Dave says, Jesse's right. I was talking about the chat. Yeah. I had a feeling you were Dave. I had a feeling you were, uh, law. Nope. Not lobs. Hold on one more before cryptic says Seahawks have a chance to spoil our number one seed. Yeah. That's the thing is the 49ers have to go undefeated if they want a shot at the number one seed. It seems Brandon. So this is a, this is a big Are deal. Are you sure about that? I mean, are the Eagles really at this point not going to catch a couple L's before the year goes down? Well, okay, let's let's talk through it. I mean, Dallas, I could see them losing to Dallas. It's a division game on the road. 
Then they play Seattle. I mean, you're not confident in Seattle Seahawks right now. And then after that, they have like the Giants twice and the Cardinals. That's how they ran out their season. So, I mean, I think that we can, I don't think we can bank on any losses, but if we're going to bank on anything, it would probably likely come this week. And then there's a chance that they don't, they don't have any after that. And if the 49ers lose one, that's it. They're not getting the number one seed. So good point i think it would be nice for the niners to be able to secure and make sure that they don't you don't give the eagles inclement weather and you know turns it into kind of a leveling the field a little bit so it, it is big to get the number one seed and look you know we're trying to fight for our season too so you know you're certainly going to get not a team that's just like oh this isn't our year you know what about cabo no we're gonna you're gonna get the best we can give you um you know scheme limitations or not on this one so um yeah, I think Radu's right about the way with the blitz. I, I think that'd be a great way for them to go. I Just looking at the numbers this week, I couldn't believe it, how many guys from Jordan Brooks to Bobby Wagner to Devin Witherspoon. I mean, even Julian Love's got a 90 pass rush grade by PFF. But uh, as you go through the numbers again this this year, Jesse, you know, we've been on this before. We're last year 32. And I've got a Niners front four that, that can get it done. I don't have to blitz. I get that. You, know, you, don't, you shouldn't have to. Uh, that's great. But if we don't have that front four, then you got to generate it. We're dripping down to like 22nd right now in the blitz rate. And it gets weird. It's like Bobby Wagner last year with the Rams had one of his best seasons, 90 overall mm -hmm. grade PFF. Uh, again, I think second team all pro went on another pro bowl year. And um, he set a record for sacks and did so by being blitzed at like a 10% rate. And you got him down 7% this year. Why wouldn't you match that from prior year though? Another year older, another year slower. Um, if they were to do that, I think they could catch the Niners off guard considerably if they did decide to employ it. I don't know if they'd have a lot of, you know, I'm sure Shanahan's coming in this game just going, putting the shades on going, yeah, I know what I'm going to get here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Brock does very well against the Blitz. If you're going to do that, I think you would have to pair it with press man. And that would be, I mean, really, we're talking about a whole schematic change from what Seattle does. And and like you said, you know that that's not going to happen, unfortunately. For your Seahawks. Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but, but a man can hope, Jesse. Don't, yeah. don't kill my hope, man. That's true. That's true. Again, yeah. A man Definitely needs can. hope. In this day and age, a man needs hope. That's all he's got. <laughs> Lob says Tariq Woolen is overrated and soft. Oh, I hate when we call players soft. I really do. I'm definitely never going to go there. Uh, I don't think he's overrated. I don't know, man. I think, I think, I, I will say this. I think Weatherspoon's better. I said it a couple of weeks ago. And then obviously Tariq had a rough game against the 49ers, got benched. He was started again after that, I believe. But he had a really good rookie season, really good rookie year. And I think corners more so than anybody else in this league, for them, it comes down to schematic matches. And you can get some really good man corners in the draft. And if you put them in a, in a zone coverage scheme, it often is not going to work and vice versa. You can get some really good corners that are zone coverage corners and you make them run press man or man in general, and it doesn't work. I think a lot of teams, when it comes to drafting corners, they just take really good players and then try to fit them in their scheme without really actually looking at it. And I think that's where problems come in. I, I think it's rare that corners can do both at a very high level. And Tariq Woolen, much like the rest of the Seattle Seahawks defense and offense for that matter are just not being used properly in my opinion. So I don't think he's a bad player at all. Yeah. And I, I guess I think too, with lobs on the soft comment, you know, if, if you had, you know, if you had a, a shoulder issue that was going to probably require you to play surgery at the end, have surgery at the end of the year, you know, would you even be on the field playing? 
you know, how many players shut it down that mode, go out, oh, I need surgery. I, I'm, I'm done then, you know, especially guys yet to even make his bank yet to even make his money. Um, and Woolen missed a game this year due to a shoulder, shoulder injury that he had. He came back after one week. I I'm, he's not going to be a good tag, a great tackler anyway, because the guy's a former wide receiver convert. And he's just about three years new to the position. He only played two years of cornerback in college. So I think we can give him a little bit of room for learning, tackling technique, and, and maybe that he's got a little bit of time to grow with that as well. In addition of why is he not wrapping up? Well, if he can't get his, if your shoulders jacked up and you can't wrap up and you try to bring down a professional athlete, then you know you can't bring him down. Um, should he be off the field instead? Well, maybe he's the best option you got out there because he's also made a couple picks. He's also missed just a couple picks by a couple inches. While I will acknowledge he's had a bit of a dip this year, Jesse's point about usage is right. Um, you know, there's you can play cover three or they'll go to cover three man match. Cover three man match is basically still just cover three. But it, it's really a pickle you put a cornerback in because you tell the cornerback, I want you to stay on top, and that's your four, first and foremost obligation on this play. Then if the guy cuts in front of you, I want you to then jump the route. But first, make sure you determine that you keep yourself clean over the top. And Coach Carroll is very extreme in, in deriding these guys to make sure you stay over the top clean. So when you watch a lot of Woolen's completions this year given up, and you if you notice them, you'll watch it this week, you know, uh, Niner fans, watch for the Brandon Ayuk, uh, San, San, uh Debo Samuel special. And what I mean by that is you have an outside receiver over here. Okay. That receiver runs a nine route. Bye-bye goes to the corner. Okay. We got the other receiver on this side. We'll just go, let's go just base. We'll go like, you know, just, just like I formation look with Kyle Juszczyk. Okay. So the receiver runs the nine route. Then here comes I, Ayuk or Samuel across the field on the crosser. Now you're left with Bobby Wagner in space. First, he's going to have to try to pick up that receiver running full speed, full tilt into his space on a spot drop, which he's not going to do. Nor is any, I don't even think Fred Warner would, honestly, on a, on a given basis that I'm dropping, 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 and then I've got to flip my hips, turn it, and then catch it with the receiver. The corner's been run off. The safety's gone over the top. You're not going to have uh, Jamal Adams down there buzzing any routes down underneath. He's going to be dropping to one. He's going to be looking to his coverage on a tight end or whatnot like that. So now you end up with Bobby. This corner on the other side is gone, right? Because he's dropping cover three to this side. So he never picked up. Let's call it Brandon Ayuk. He never picked up Ayuk on the crosser. And when I watch the Niners tape over the last couple of years, these routes are being run all over the top. And if it's not a crosser, it's an in-cutting route. They, they all do the same thing. And it puts the corner in an impossible position in this man-matched. I hate it, really. Play man or play cover three. Pick a lane, right? Because you're asking this corner to do two things. It's hard enough as a football player to do one thing on a football play. Just to ask him to do th two things in that way to me is just you get him thinking rather than playing. It, it sort of removes it. And unfortunately, we're too often in cover three. And if it's cover three, what do you want the guy to do? He's supposed to stay over the top. The linebacker is technically supposed to pick up that guy underneath. But if you're asking your linebacker to pick receivers up underneath on these on these in-cutting routes, you're you're going to fail. Those guys are not going to be holding. I don't care. Even Fred Warner is going to make some great plays. That's just not a way to set up for success on your players, in my opinion. But it's kind of what we do with our, our coverages. Yeah, and I, I think that you know, it's not just the corners. We can talk about Diggs. I think Diggs is at his best when he's playing more of a robber role and, and troll in the middle of the field a little bit. You know, then that would allow Bobby Wagner to to kind of cheat and carry over, and then you got somebody dropping down to to cover the middle. And I don't know. There's just so many things that they could do that they don't do. And yeah. whatever, I'm a 49er fan. I can care less what Seattle does. But ultimately, if I was a Seahawks fan, I'd be so frustrated watching this team. So frustrated because, like I said, Lobs, I disagree. I think Tariq Woolen is a good player. I think Witherspoon's a fantastic player. I think Diggs is a good player. I think Adams, if he's used properly, is still a good player. I, I think that there's good players all over this team. 
they just aren't being used properly. And I mean, I've said it already. It feels like 50 times this show and I'll probably say it another 50 minimum. So imagine how many times I've said it this year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He says, Russell scared me. Gino doesn't. It comes down to that. Yes. Yeah. Russell terrified us and he, for good reason, for good reason. The coach, what's up coach? How you doing, man? He says, Seattle doesn't have a run game. They don't even dedicate uh, themselves to it. Leaning on Gino's arm is a recipe for disaster. Okay, enough artful criticism. Y'all are cheeks. I kid, I kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's, right. uh, yeah, no, he's not wrong about the uh, the run game. We don't have it, and, and part of it is because of that predilection to leaning to the A and the B gap runs, and that about 90% of our runs are going to go up inside, um, whereas you then watch the Niners rushing attack on the other side with its horizontal-based nature at times, um, I mean, even it, it's weird because even if we just did a little bit of that, it would open up the inside stuff. You know, you guys take that pitch play to McCaffrey and then it comes back into the A gap. But it looks like a pitch play in all other ways where you when you catch the team over leaning defensively to that edge and trying to play the run game out to that edge, bam, it comes back inside. And that's the one of those ironies is if you use this, this will open up the things you want to do, Coach Carroll, in the run game aspect. Um, I will say this about Gino is that, you know, he found himself last week. It was not a week where everything was just working well in his favor. Um, they showed a great stat during the game about how much he was under an onslaught of pressure during that Cowboy game. Not that you guys aren't going to be bringing that this week, but it was pretty amazing that even under under that os- onslaught, he did what he did last week without the ground game and, and making a lot of great throws. And it was more of the first 12 games, Gino, we saw last year, last week. And this guy's hitting his back foot, trusting his decision-making, looking fully in command, not holding on to the ball too long. It hasn't always been that all this year throughout. It wasn't necessarily that way in, in the Niner game. Um, but it's also – the the Geno thing is really something I don't get with fans that don't look at this, in my opinion, in the right way. Because even in the coach's respect on this, you acknowledge we don't have a running game. Geno's not had a running game since week 13 of last year. He's also had probably about somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 to 30-second pass protection efficiency. So let's put those two things together for a quarterback. I don't have a ground game, and I don't have any pass protection efficiency going on. How do we expect any quarterback, I don't care if it's Geno or anybody in that, to flourish and take off? I I think that maybe there's some guys who can maybe kind of get some things done with it, but I think just about every quarterback would be inhibited in that position. And uh, it is inhibiting him at times, I think, where he doesn't always get the fairest shake because nobody kind of pays attention to this front end stuff that's going on. Like we do not have a ground game. Like we cannot lean on it all. It's like a two and a half yard of ground game in the game. That's what it feels like you can get it at best. There are no holes to be found. And again, in pass protection last week, they showed 54% of his dropbacks through last, just last week alone, under two and a half seconds, he had a pass rusher back in his face. Uh, you, You can't play the quarterback position that way. It just doesn't, nobody can, in my opinion. He had two throws last week that were, Oh, God. I mean, I'm not a Gino guy and we've gone round and round about Gino and I'm going to, I have him as a topic again tonight, spoiler alert. But <laughs> that being said, I will acknowledge when, when I see great things happen and there were two throws last week, Brandon, and I, I think, you know, what throws I'm talking about. The first one, the first touchdown to DK was so good, but the one where he was fading away and just threw it cross body to a receiver. I think it was uh, JS. Yeah, exactly. Yes, JSN. Oh my god, dude! That throw was incredible. That was such. That was a. That was a top five throw this year of any quarterback. That was absolutely incredible. It, 
you didn't see it, I highly recommend watching it. That was a great throw by him. Well, and he he may come out to be where he's not that or he can't be that. My point on the front of this, much like it was with Wilson on the front of this, is that if you don't give the guy the factors for success, it makes it tough to assess him properly. And when he makes throws like that, when he has games like this last week or like he had last season or in a few of the games that he's had this season, like Carolina and Detroit, the three comeback from behind wins. I mean, this was another thing people would say about Gino is, you know, he is what he is, you know, and, and man, when things times get especially tough, he'll crater, you know, yet he has these comeback wins that kind of go against that narrative. And again, I just think that it doesn't matter. I'm consistent on this. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. If you have them under an onset of pressure and you don't have a ground game, I'm a big thing about, for instance, drafting quarterbacks. This being a problem with the people that all say, just go draft a quarterback, just go draft a quarterback. No, put the conditions in the right place for the quarterback to have success, or else you're not going to be able to assess him properly. Do the Bears have a real proper assessment right now of Justin Fields? Do they have a real clear idea about who he is and what he is really with what they've set up in front of him in the first part of his career? With, with some of the tumultuous nature of that team and how it's been going along, I don't think they have. And I don't think you want to find yourself there with a the quarterback. So the thing things does apply true to veterans too, even in guys Geno Smith's case, where you got to give him the, the places to be able to work. Not that it has to be perfect now. I'm not saying he's got to have all-stars across the board, but we've had games four-fifths, five-fifths down our offensive line. No, I can find very few games where I can find any kind of consistency, where you might have like Walker get into 100 yards, but it takes him 25 carries to get there, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely tough for any quarterback. And it sounds like really what you're asking for is like, just give me the league median. Can I get the median for him and yeah. maybe judge him based off that instead yeah. of one of the worst in both those categories? <laughs> I think it's a fair ask. Uh, yeah. Dave set, follows up and says, Coach is doing his job, catching the shows with the facts. Keith says, whatever Seattle fans suggested the Blitz hasn't seen Purdy's numbers against the Blitz. I, and we talked about that, and I think the big thing is is that you're asking for two changes. It's not just blitzing, but it's playing man, which he talked about as well. Behind that, you're yeah. just not. If you play zone and blitz, you're you're asking to be just. That's uh, what I was gonna say. You're fish it, in a barrel. Is is pretty good against the zone? Is bad against the zone? No, he's great against zone. Okay, so I mean, you know, he's great against both. Yeah. So we got to like that's the point. On this is that. This ain't about like, this is going to be the ultimately perfect strategy to finally expose Purdy for what he is and my defense <laughs> to flourish in the way that I see fit. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying any, <laughs> any port in a storm, right? And it's what it, I have a defense defensively. I can't generate any pass rush. Can't stop the run. I don't play particularly well in coverage. I give up a lot of big plays. I give up a lot of consistent drives. I don't do anything as far as stop much as anything in third down. One of the worst rates you go. I lose time of possession on every given week. The one thing we do well is blitz. That's the one thing that we actually, when we employ it, that actually can draw out some things. Again, as I always like to do on this, Keith, is let me back this up like I have and put it right with the Niners. Let me, let me give you an example of the Niners themselves in this case playing out. Last year, game two between the Seahawks and Niners in Seattle. Brock Purdy starts out the game 11 for 11. Jesse, you watch that tape. How much man coverage do you think was on those first 11 snaps? How much zone? 100% zone. Did we, did we blitz any of those first 11 attempts? No. Hmm. Then blitz, then on number 12, the 12th attempt by Purdy, you blitz. And what happens? You get an incompletion. And then you come back with a stack front 
Purdy's now aware of the fact that you just blitzed on the previous play, get him a little bit jumpy. You get another incompletion. Then what do we do? We're getting away from that. We, that's, that's too much success with that. We got to go, you know, down, down this angle with it. It's, it's as much about right now. There's no answers defensively. There's this one thing you've kind of done well. You're going up against an opponent that you come walking into it on paper, don't really have a great, a great chance against. And so you've got to kind of try to employ some things that are a little bit outside the box, if but just to try something different. We have run in the last four matchups, Keith, heavy zone against Brock Purdy and tried to manage it that way. And I don't think it's worked. Uh, hell, the pick six we got last time you guys played you. Did it not come on a blitz? In a game that we didn't blitz you guys. Did we blitz you guys a lot last game? I don't no. think we did. We blitz you, we get a pick six. Let's not go back to that again. That's what it, it gets that like as a Hawk fan on a weekly basis where you watch this stuff and go. So it's, I don't think it'd be an OBL. You guys have every right to be a heavy favor in this game. I think it's going to be probably a little closer, at least early on than, than we think. And maybe it's a separate game later on, but I, I just want to see them try something different and new. We've tried the zone. We've tried to trusting the front four and it, it just hasn't necessarily got as much recently, especially against you guys in this attack. It, it's about variety. It's about, you can't just all of a sudden go from soft zone and not blitzing to man coverage and all blitzing. It's about just mixing it in, showing different coverages. If you give, to, to Brandon's point, if you give Purdy all the answers to the test, of course he's going to ace it. The Vikings are a really good example of this. In that Vikings game, the the Vikings blitz more than anybody or, or had up to that point. They blitz more than anybody in the league. The 49ers knew this. And Brock Purdy played really, really well against the Vikings until he didn't. And what changed? They started showing blitz after pressuring him all game and, and going heavy, all-out blitzes. And then they started showing it and dropping back into zone coverage, which is something he traditionally shreds. And he made a couple of mistakes, probably because maybe he was a little bit confused. He expected to be sped up. He threw the ball as if he would be sped up. He wasn't sped up, and he threw it directly to a defender multiple times. Now we can say it was because of the concussion. Sure, maybe that's the case. But the point is, is that you try to at least confuse him and give him something to think about. It's okay, we're going to blitz here. Then we're going to show blitz and not blitz. We're going to play man here. And then we're not going to play man. We're going to show man, but we're going to run zone. It's just about variety. And what Seattle does is not only do they play zone, they play a particular type of zone. And then they're going to show you exactly the zone that they're playing before snap and they're not going to change and roll coverage post snap they are literally doing nothing to disguise anything they're doing they show you everything pre-snap that you need to know of course purdy is going to know exactly where to go with the ball and he's going to be successful i don't care how talented the players are on the other end if he knows exactly what's coming and he knows what his offense is doing he's going to complete passes at a very high clip and look extremely well against any defense that does that to him. It's a great point. I can't add anything else other than that. That's absolutely on, on the button with it. And the stat that you just referenced is one that you can actually go and track right now where you look at teams and, and what they show you pre-snap coverage versus what you get post-snap coverage is what Jesse's referring to there. And we are literally through most of the season have been the 32nd team in our most predictable nature of pre-snap to post-snap. And it's what comes down at the, at the head of this right now, as far as the problem goes, is the simplistic nature, the lack of making either coaches or a guy like Brock Purdy under center have to think. 
You're making things too easy for these guys. And that's where we really struggle on that. And you can't leave that away. I mean, you have a coach right now that's at one of the forefront positions and maximizing that, I would say. And, and we have one of the coaches that's on the other end of that scale, unfortunately. And, and that's like you say as well, another great point on your part. It's not just about blitzing hundred percent of the time. I'm not saying to like, let us turn into the Vikings. Like you said, the Vikings do what they have to do because Flores has to do that by necessity because he doesn't have the personnel in place to make it roll. So he's trying to manufacture right. like a mofo, but we have better talent, but just, it's about, like you said, bringing it more middle of the ground, just middle of the road is where we're trying to get to. And that, that provides a little more of the, the unpredictability of it that we're looking for, you know? Uh, I would also argue that player for player talent wise, Seattle has, if not as much, almost as much talent as the Baltimore Ravens. But when you look at the Ravens defense, which is right around the 49ers defense in most major statistical categories, it's not because of the talent gap. The talent gap is not significant between these two teams. It's what they're doing. I encourage anybody, if you want to geek out, on on what a good defense looks like go watch alex rollins he dropped a, a video this week on the ravens defense and what they are doing to confuse quarterbacks what they show pre-snap versus what they actually do is it's incredible it is absolutely incredible the way that they show man and will even have corners travel with wide receivers when they're going in motion to confuse the quarterback and then drop into something completely different. Uh, they, it looks like cover one man. And then all of a sudden they're dropping into cover two zone. It's incredible. And and you can see schematically why that team is successful. It's not because they're overly talented. They do have talent over there. Don't get me wrong, but they're not overly talented. It's because schematically they are so perfect. They're so sound. And they're just coached really well. Seattle is the antithesis of the Baltimore Ravens when it comes to that. A hundred percent. And I agree with you on the Ravens part. I mean, what you have in Harbaugh is not a guy that's a, a mastermind on the defensive or offensive side. He comes from a special teams background. Mm -hmm. It's that he hires the right guys in those positions that are those front runners. Your point about the, the changing pre to post snap, it feels like to me, what they're doing is continuing to evolve the Vic Fangio cover two shell rather yeah. than it always being about being in the cover two shell pre snap. We can, we can apply the shell principles to single high safety looks now. You know, and we can flip it like that post-snap in that way. And to me, that's the next step if you want to talk about the equivalency to pre-post-snap motion on offense to where defenses can start to innovate themselves and bring about their own kind of stylistic changes in order to, to provide heavy amounts of confusion on the offensive side of the ball. That's where it's going, in my opinion, in the NFL right now, defensively speaking, uh, especially at the forefront of stacking those boxes. Man, when you get that in and you're going to run whatever coverage on the back end, and then you've got six, seven guys up on the box pre-snap at the at the at the stop at the start of things, whoo, does that give offenses some troubles? It, it really is incredible to watch what they're it's it's why go watch it. Just go watch Alex Rollins and his breakdown of the Ravens defense. I, I promise you will not be disappointed. It is a lot of fun. He really breaks it down extremely well. And in the way that they can turn what looks like man into zone and vice versa and and get different players in those positions. I mean, they'll have they'll have they'll show blitz, they'll have a safety walk up near the line of scrimmage, then they'll drop one corner back as as he's the deep. Now he turns into the deep safety in a cover two zone. They'll have that that blitzing safety drop back underneath and he'll play the the shallow crossers 
and turn into the the shallow zone on on the right side of the field while this safety is dropping over here. It's I mean it's mind boggling what they are doing on defense. It is so it's it's a really really good video. Just check it out. It, I promise you will not be disappointed. Yeah, Keith they're, says they're, over or under six sacks for Gino. Under six is I a got, lot of sacks. I do, we got Lucas back. Yeah, Lucas yeah. is back. Cross has been going a little bit stronger so far. We feel good with him. So I'd, I'll go. I'll go under that. Maybe not yeah. a lot under that, but you know, especially because Armstead's not playing, and I think Armstead is a big, big keycock. I'm, I'm assuming he's not playing. It's it's likely that he will not play. Dave yeah. says Keith six sacks even good target number. <laughs> yeah, we should have put it at five and a half and made it fun. Uh, Oki Forty Nineer says I'm hearing it's time for Carol to chew gum. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really funny comment oh man that's good that's good zach says what the seahawks want to make the playoffs at this stage or would they rather have a higher draft pick thanks for the content jesse let's go niners this is a great question what what would you rather have happen or what do you think the pulse of the fan base is I got the romantic ideal on life where, you know, maybe watching too many superhero movies, you know, where you're, you got the guy on the floor and he's, he's down to the wits end, you know? And it's like, he's just like holding on and the fire's coming up and he's like, and you're like, Oh, he's dead. He's gone. You know, and then you come in with one last punch and it's like, you find that. So I always will think that there's some, there's some way, some manner, some, you know, way to go. I, I also don't think that, tanking out and losing out really does a whole hell of a lot more for us. Uh, Caleb Williams and Drake may will be off the board in the first three to four picks maximum, if not the first two picks, which would put you out of range. Even if you lost out, uh, Penix is not going to be the answer here. Why? Because whoever gets Penix has to put him behind a good offensive line. If you don't, you're going to get him broken with his injury history. And as I just all already showed you guys on the front of this, we don't really do a good job of the last 10, 10 years in pass protection, it's kind of not our thing in Seattle. You know, we we got a jam, and that's not it. So, um, I would say it doesn't it doesn't bring a lot to to tank. So why not go for it? Why not keep fighting? I can't give up. I don't have a lot of give up in me. I don't care if there, if I'm in mathematically in it. If it looks dark as it may, you know, I'll be like, what if it has it go? The dark the darkness is most dawn before the light. How do you you know how does it? How does that one go? I mean, you did watch a seven and nine Seahawks team put on a, a earthquake or the beast quake as they call it is they they upset the saints in a big way so I, I think that anything can happen once you get to the playoffs you know i i would probably tend to agree i would pro it's it's a little selfish you know obviously you don't want your season to be for not you look at, at the team we talk about the seahawks and uh i like i said the talent is there maybe something turns around and they figure something out coaching wise and it changes just enough to get in the playoffs and then anything can happen. But yeah, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're going to tank, it's for a quarterback and, and kind of your point, those first two certainly aren't going to be there. I like Penix a lot and I don't know what your thoughts are. Penix, obviously he, he's very, very close to your area, but mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he does, he would have to, to be protected and you know, that's not uh they haven't done a good job of that. So he's in my backyard. So I do a lot of background on Penix. And because we're yeah. going to be looking at quarterbacks, I've already gone through a lot of these QBs and seen probably a good uh, at least five or six games on all these guys um, through the last couple of years. And a guy like Spencer Adler, I've been watching him for three years. But 
Uh, Penix is a really good quarterback, and there's no quarterback in this in this, including Caleb Williams. I think that's made more wild throws over the past two years than he has. The arm talent is undeniable, um, but he's got ACLs. He's got AC joints in his arm. The, the, the Huskies have put together an offense that's built behind getting the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. And so he's gotten hit very limited over the past couple of years, which is the appropriate thing to do for a guy in that case. And he's had good pass protection with the, the line in front of him. So they put him in that place. But if you bring him here, and as I've said, you got a 32nd, 31st pass protection unit, that's just going to get him bashed. And I already have a big problem with these teams going out and getting these quarterbacks and getting them injured or getting them playing bad without first taking care of the line. Um, I, I think the, the the Panthers are, I think, are getting bit on their on their butt by this just a little bit. I think that the Colts got bit on the butt by this, frankly, with Richardson. You could see that one coming down. You have a bad offensive line. You take this young quarterback who's super green, who should be sitting on the bench. You get him to now where he thinks he has to use his legs too much to win because he's always under pressure. So let me just go use my legs to go Superman it. And then he gets brought to the ground because it's one too many tackles and an AC joint on himself that goes out. So You've got to put the offensive line in front of the quarterback first before you get that QB. Um, I think more into the second, fourth round phase. I think you guys are going to be taking somewhere between the second or fourth round. I think that Shanahan's going to fall in love with one of these guys because this draft's weird where there's about 12 guys between late first to fourth round that will probably be selected. And they're all very unusual and different in their skill sets for it. Not quite that first round value kind of thing. I think there's really only three to four guys in the first, but a lot in that other area of things. Who do you think the other, if it's four, do you think McCarthy's the other one? No. Who do you think the fourth one is? You think it's Nick's? Uh, it's probably going to be Nick's or maybe even Rattler. Oh God. You think Rattler really? Well, I go Rick, I go Nick's Rattler or Jaden Daniels, but any of those guys. Oh, Jaden Daniels. I forgot. I completely forgot about Jaden Daniels. I think Jaden Daniels is going to explode on the draft scene. Yeah. Jaden's your four probably right now as I as I kind of go through this in my mind again. I'm still kind of getting my list down. So Jaden's my four, I would say. With Radler, he's got what's going on with Jaden Daniels, which is they play in the SEC, which is going to be given by scouts and observers, going to be given a lot of weight in itself. And that unlike other teams out there in the SEC, they don't have necessarily the supporting cast around them to work with. Jaden's going to get the, the Heisman in this year, and he's truly – earned it in the level of ways he's had to play the, the position for what he's had around him and the onslaught he's under. This is a little bit of what I tried to, to bring up with the Levis thing last year. And yeah, I understand the tape's bad. I understand that, but you have to understand what he's dealing with. He's going up against Georgia with Kentucky. And those, those two are not on the same plane as far as the talent around them a little bit. And, and not to say that Levis was going to be amazing, but just that we got, it has to affect your outlook. So in Rattler's case, he's going to be under more pressure person, you know, every snap than any other college quarterback by a wide margin in this draft. And evaluators are going to take that into account, even if the results haven't been there, because they're going to go, yeah, he's getting hammered every snap, but look at how he's, he's operating under that and still excelling under that over the last couple of years. I think they'll look at him as grown, but yeah, Nix is in there too. Nix would be a guy that I think Shanahan would love for instance, because he's in a highly predicated offense right now at Oregon, right? That's very structured and he can do a variety of things. He's got the mobility. You can get him maybe into that second, second round range at that point. Um, Maybe that'd be too early for you guys because you're in such go for mode that you would want to do that. But he would be kind of that guy that I think that Shannon would really like because of that, where I, I know what I'm getting with him. I know what he can fit into. I can I can utilize that arm. I can utilize those legs, especially if he were to dip and drop a little bit. Yeah, I think Nick's or McCarthy would, would do well with Shanahan. I think um, I don't think they'll get either one, but I definitely think that it's probably a year to get one, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, something like that. 
because mm-hmm. they're going to need a backup. I also could see Mac Jones being here as a backup. I mean, if if he gets cut by the Patriots, I mean, uh, you know, maybe that's that's an option for him. But they're definitely going to want to get a backup quarterback, and maybe they do it through the draft. We'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, that it'll be interesting. There's a lot of quarterbacks, and I I always usually w- I usually wait until around March to start breaking it down. That's what I did last year. Uh, C.J. Stroud was my guy last year. We'll see who I end up kind of fall in love with this year out of these quarterbacks, but there's a lot of names. There's definitely a lot of names for sure. Yeah. I had my, I, my final uh, comp on Strahd was Montana had him as my number one QB. I'm looking pretty good on that one right now. Cause everybody's yeah. laughing. Their, they were laughing their ass off at me when I mentioned Montana in my chat, they're like Montana, like just what I see. I just, it's, it's what I, I grew up during the age of Montana being, I watched him play. I'm not watching, yeah. you know, I, I watched the games live with him playing. So I'm just seeing some of the same things, especially with that, like tricky accuracy, man, you know, where there's just, just putting the ball in a place that like other QBs just can't put the ball at. And that was what Joe could do is just, it wasn't just about putting the ball. It was putting the ball into where Jerry makes the catch and then he's going full speed. I know I'm telling you guys, this is a Niner fan. So I'm speaking to the crier on this, but that was why I saw a lot of the comp with him is he could do some of the off script stuff that Joe Montana could do. And then when he got off script and the accuracy would still kind of be there, especially showed in that Georgia game last year in the playoffs. Yeah. I think, you know, watching CJ Stroud, it's, it's tough to evaluate quarterbacks like CJ. I think for a lot of people, because he is throwing to a lot of wide open receivers and he had a hell of a receiving core at Ohio state. And they're usually playing competition that can't keep up. But it was very different watching him versus, let's say, a Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Baker was throwing to wide open receivers, but the ball placement just wasn't always there. And that showed up repeatedly. I was not a big Baker guy. With CJ, not only was the ball placement right, but it was perfect every yeah. single throw, it seemed like. And then when you watch him play, I said that he plays football like Paul Pierce or Luka Doncic plays basketball and that they, even though athletically they seem slower, somehow they make everybody else acquiesce to the way that they play so that they can be offensive juggernauts. And that's exactly what he does. I mean, even now as a rookie, it's like, it's almost as if every other player around him slows down so that he can get done what he needs to get done. It's... I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it, just the way that he plays and and how his ability to do those things. But it was clear he was a much better player than than Bryce Young to me. And a lot of people laughed at me when I said that he was clearly the better player than Bryce Young. Now, we'll see. I mean, I'm not writing off Bryce by any means, but right now that that take looks really good. But it, it could change. It could definitely change. I wasn't big on Bryce either. I don't think he's been set up in a great spot, but I'm a big guy that's anti the guys that are built like mighty mites and expecting that they're going to hold up. And I didn't think that everybody's making the comp with him about Patrick Mahomes' arm strength and a five foot 10 body. I I don't know what tape at all. I don't know what tape they're watching. I mean, that that was not that at all, not anywhere in the vicinity of it. So yeah, I was in the same place with it. I had him as actually, I think my third quarterback on my board, because I just don't trust that a guy at that size is going to hold up. Frankly, it goes even beyond skill set to that just comes down to like, I think what this was the Russell Wilson effect. I think he came in and started to make a lot of these talent evaluators think these smaller quarterbacks could hold up and sustain. And so you get the Baker Mayfields and the Kyler Murray's drafted and it's like, they can do it. It's like, no, they can't. 
All those guys have <laughs> Baker's had multiple injuries. Kyler's had multiple injuries. You know, they it's you've got to have a bit of size to you. You're getting hit by 330, 340 pound men full speed. You can't be five, 10, 190 pounds and be like, I'm surprised I didn't hold up. Especially these pads they wear today. You know, these pads are like up here, the shoulders just out. It it it's not you're not big enough, buddy. I'm sorry. It ain't gonna it ain't gonna work. You know, so. You, that was a bit that to me, that's always, you mentioned JJ McCarthy. That's a big problem. I think he's real kind of like a little bit of a frail build. I don't think he's got the biggest arm. It, it doesn't lead me to wanting to pick him in like, for instance, the top three rounds, even in my opinion, I know there are a lot of people that have him even as a first round guy. I mean, geez, the team even had a game against Penn state where they limited him to like six passing attempts. I mean, that should kind of tell you something about the kid as a pro prospect when he's supposed to be this first round NFL quarterback that they're going to, I can't remember about a recent first round quarterback in any recent memory that was talked about that only had six attempts in a college game where the team was knowingly trying to try to protect him so that he wasn't, you know, put out on display. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll have to really watch him close, but it definitely could be uh, Zach Wilson vibes a little bit, right? Where great college quarterback can do some phenomenal things with the ball. And he does, he makes some wild throws on a regular basis, but you know, maybe it just doesn't translate for him. That's a possibility I, as well. I mean, I, and it's not to, this isn't a toot my own horn thing, but Wilson, another guy, I just didn't get. I hated, I, I, I hated I, I, Zach I, Wilson. I hated him, yes. I, I don't I don't get this. Uh, you know, number one, when has a BYU quarterback been anything, number one? Not that that should be an end-all, be-all, but let's just take yeah. that into account first and foremost. Number two, he's Steve got- Steve Young, 20, Steve Young, Steve Young. That's right, Steve yep, Young. there we go. Steve Young, props to Steve Young. <laughs> he's got, uh, he's got, 28 year old linemen that went on Mormon missions and that are in grown man bodies out there pass protecting for him on a weekly basis at BYU <laughs> where he's not under any duress and he just gets to stand back there and just kind of flick the ball where he wants to flick it. Like I didn't get it. I really didn't get it with him. And I thought that the tape didn't back it up to where, Oh yeah, this guy should be right there. I was a Lawrence guy that year as well, where I said, you know, I'm, I'm on board with Lawrence. That's, that's the guy to roll with here. Um, but yeah. There are those guys. There are those weird guys that seem every year to kind of like catch the catch the evaluators. I have McCarthy seems to be maybe that guy that'll do it this year a little bit where it's I don't think is unfounded. Jaden deserves to be. He took a step forward yeah. in his game this year. The arm strength took a step forward. His decision makings took a step forward. His frame um, has gotten bigger. His frame, his frame got bigger. That was the worry I had about. You had the whole Jalen Carter moment from the previous year where Jalen mm -hmm. lifted him with one arm off the thing and did the number one as he's holding him like a baby. Um you know, that you're like, geez, this guy's gonna be a pro prospect. You know, how's that gonna work? You know, just, <laughs> hmm. oh, um, but uh, he's definitely added some weight and he's he's dude, he earns he's earned that Heisman. I mean, I say that with Penix being undefeated and being right there, probably number two. But uh, Jaden Daniels, when you're, you watch what he's doing out there and sometimes you know, just making it happen like a magic man, he's kind of like the closest to a Wilson, I think, in this draft comp wise, you yeah. know, in the things he can do. Yeah, certainly. Dave says, Jess, what's that light behind you? I dig it. It is a glance LED. Link is in the description. You can get yourself 10% uh, off if you want to get one for yourself. And uh, they're awesome. Yeah, I love it. I think if you have a man cave or an office, no brainer. Go get yourself one. You can uh, program it to stocks, time, weather, any team you want, any sport you want, whatever. It's It's a cool product. So Definitely check it out. Link in the description. Appreciate you for asking, Dave. We've got two more. Well, I've got a lot more than two more, but I'm going to read two more because the second one here parlays us into a topic that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Brother Bob says, Sea Hags equals trash, period. Revised prediction, 44 to 6. All right. Well, we'll see, Brother Bob. All right. Daza says, 
What's the future of the Seahawks? There seems to be a gap between them and the Niners and the Rams are getting younger and better. And I'm going to take that question and we'll start here when we talk about the future of the Seahawks. First of all, I'm not going to ask you if there's any chance that it happens. I think it's low, and I think that that you're probably going to say it's low. Maybe I'm wrong. In a perfect world, Brandon, you are GM for a day, and you can make any move that you want. Do you get rid of Pete Carroll? And if so, who are you bringing in to replace him? You know, are you ready for me to you ready for me to trigger some Niner fans? <laughs> you ready? You ready? Yeah. Hold your hold your butt cheeks, Niner fans. Hold them <laughs> cheeks. Uh, my move would be this: I would let go Carol, and then I would go reach out to one Mister Harbaugh at Michigan, and I'd say, "You know that organization that did you dirty? You know that organization <laughs> that slapped you in the face?" for taking them to a Super Bowl for the first time in 20 years? You know that team? Why don't you come back here and you can give them a nice big middle finger right to them? How about that? How about you get to finally close that chapter up in the right way in your favor by coming back up here and making it happen? That's my move. That's what I would do. Um, is it going to happen? No. But uh, <laughs> would, I, would I like to see it happen? Sure. Okay. So that's the move you would make. So why why do you think, and not necessarily Harbaugh, but just in general, why did why do you think Pete Carroll is untouchable? And and for the record, I think think Pete has been a hell of a coach for a long time. I still th- like some things about Pete Carroll, mm-hmm. but somebody who doesn't call plays himself, he really has to get too very good coordinators in place and he's failed miserably i think in both fronts for quite a few years i i don't know man like why why is he untouchable he's not he he's not bill belichick and even bill belichick there's a lot of rumors that he may not make it past this next offseason with the patriots why mm-hmm. well um It's a complicated question. I think ownership's a big part of this. Um, Paul Allen passed a couple of years ago, and he was a guy that really, beyond Coach Carroll, which is kind of by the, I think, average fan and the young Seahawks fan, will look at it like Seahawks became a winner when Coach Carroll came here. That's when you became blah, 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 blah. But we'd been to a Super Bowl four years prior to Coach Carroll arriving. So it's not really accurate. We'd won like four or five division titles through the early 2000s. Not really accurate. Um, So it was Paul Allen that allowed this to occur when he bought the team in 97 and his commitment to winning and not just commitment by, by money wise, but to be three years removed from a Mike Holmgren, having taken you to a super bowl, a super bowl where you were robbed by the officials. It wasn't Mike's fault. It was, if you know, you were, you, they were going to give it to the Steelers one way or the other. And you let go of that guy three years after he was gone out the door. You didn't wait. You didn't hold on to him. You didn't go, Hey, he's a, he's a mascot from what he did this year. Many years ago, you said, we got to keep it moving if we want to keep it winning. And then you hired a guy and you went, that guy's not it. You were done with him after a year. Then you pivoted on to Coach Carroll. So what's happened is, is Paul Allen has passed. His sister's taken over. I think she looks at Coach Carroll as kind of this legacy hire guy that I, I could be wrong on this, but it feels like this a little bit of like, you know, he's he's a guy that is my brother's last hiring thing. And there's I, I can only imagine how that pulls at you to kind of keep that that uh, that bind attached or whatever. But 
I think that's the big thing holding it back a bit here. There's also the impending sale potentially here that factors into this where the Hawks are going to be likely to be sold within a few years, maybe not one or two, but within a few years. And does she want to go and hire a new coach when he has only two years left on his contract? You know, does she want to go out there and look for that coach? It's a process. Give me committees and have people discussing. And then, you know, so uh, not to mention your final guys, you're paying and then you're paying a new guy and they're trying to tighten the purse strings, I think at times a little bit. So it's just, I think all those factors come into play on top of the fact that I just don't know if there's enough of a sentiment, at least from the general populace of the Hawks fans, it's getting louder, but you know, there's a lot of people who are just like, he wanted, he got us to, he won us our first Super Bowl 10 years ago. He gets to write his own ticket. And there's kind of enough of that mentality that exists, I think, to where it keeps the, keeps the dogs like me off the gates, you know, and, uh, and keeps, uh, keeps everything uh, comfortable in that front of it. Okay. All right. Radu says, don't get excited, Weiner, Weiner gang, about two to three years and y'all <laughs> Super Bowl window is closed. Long windows just don't happen in the NFL. Too many chances to choke to the same mistakes. No depth and excuses. But, Radu, if they win this year, and I think this is their best chance to do so, it doesn't matter. Because you know as well as I do, all it takes is one, and you are on cloud nine. Blake says, if Niners win, you got to replace the trash 12 flag behind you with the Niner flag. I, you know, that's that like that, triggers them, I'm, not your Niner people. It's triggering. I'm, I'm going to say this, and I've made some really good bets this year with some content creators, a Cowboys content creator and an Eagles content creator. First time, by the way, I didn't make any bets last year, but they, they happened this year and they were hat bets. So those content creators have to wear a 49er hat or had to wear a 49er hat on their streams because they lost a bet. When Seattle's a little bit better and you're feeling confident and, and yeah. the Niners are good, the one of these times we're going to have to make a bet similar to that. I don't know if it'll be that one in general, but you'll get a bet out of us eventually. I just think I got to pick the right time. And right now, you can tell the Seahawks fans know that this probably ain't it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'm going to wait till they're feeling confident and sassy and and feeling great about everything and then when i also feel the same way we'll make a bet and it'll be a fun one so we'll, oh, I'll we'll be down yeah it. when i when i got a actual got a shot and i'll definitely will and and to bob and blake <laughs> you're making me want to buy two flags okay i'm <laughs> <laughs> not gonna take it down next cast i'm gonna have one wrapped around this corner right here just for you guys <laughs> uh matt says one thing seattle does well is lose to the 49ers recently nice Nice. He says, sorry, I was late. Did I miss anything? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say you you missed a few things. Go go back and uh, check it out for sure. Brother Bob says, Brandon, be 100% uh, or be 100. Ward owns Metcalf. Can you sign on that? I actually had that as a topic and I decided against it. But since you brought it up, let's talk about it a little bit. Ward definitely had a very good game against Metcalf. Metcalf bounced back and had a great game against Dallas. What do you expect in this matchup? Because it does seem like Ward, interestingly enough, the 49ers have not been a team that sends their corners to travel. But it started with DK. It went ahead and parlayed itself to A.J. Brown last week. And now I expect it to happen again with DK. Do you think that that's a matchup that uh, DK will fare better in this time, or do you think that that's going to be a problem for him again this week? This is going to be a bit of a sore subject spot for me. Um, I watch the all 22 of every game and watch it usually multiple times over throughout the week. And mm -hmm. from both, both of the two angles that are offered, 
Um, I love all of your Niner defenders, and I wouldn't pick any of them apart for what they are. I think Fred Warner is the best middle linebacker in the sport. I think Nick Bosa might be the most um, impactful player in the sport. Uh, Armstead is, you know, kind of got that hard hat, gets it all done for you. I, all of the guys are legit. And then Greg Drake, Greg Greenlaw being completely underrated. Um, mm-hmm. The one guy that I, I'm not on board with, though, is when it comes to Ward. And my my reasoning for it, and I know that Niner fans are going to disagree with this, but again, this is you, you can't kind of tell me what I'm not seeing with my own eyes. And what I mean by that is when I go and watch the All-22 of the ownership of Ward to Metcalf on these times, and they go, and look, Metcalf didn't play a good game last night, multiple drops, didn't get his foot in bounds on a nine route down the sideline. Um, he played bad, that's for sure. But the problem comes into play is that you're not supposed to be able to get physical with a guy after five yards when the quarterback's in the pocket. And what I watch with Ward on a continual basis, and not just with Metcalf, but across the board with him, is that I feel like he's second only to Sauce Gardner in the amount that he's allowed to get away with from a physicality standpoint past the five yards you're supposed to be allowed it. Sauce is allowed to get away with it. He's allowed to get away with it. I, it they don't call it, then you let it roll. Let it rip. But I have a much harder time at that point then when I'm watching all 22 snap after snap after snap of the guy riding him on the waist and pulling up on his shoulders at the top stem of the route. And this gets exacerbated by what I think is going on with Metcalf at times is that he has a bit of the whole hack-a-shack rule being applied at times when he faces up against a corner and that he's four inches bigger, he's 25 pounds heavier. And so there's a little bit of a willingness by the officials for the defenders to have a bit more of a physicality with him as well to manage that. Proof in pudding, go back and watch that post route on the on the touchdown that he got against Deron Bland in that game. What you'll see is that as he gets to the top of the stem of the route and gets to the post, 10 yards down the football field, Geno in the pocket, that Deron gets his hands right around the waist and wraps him up at the stem. And I see this all the time on the tape with Metcalf. I see it with the ward as well. It's not that he's just purely bad or not a good player, but it gets very hard for me to then give the guy the tip of the cap nod when that's what I'm seeing he's doing, which is going outside the context of the rules more often than not to get his job done, as well as there's still a lot of coverage being rolled Metcalf's way, even when Ward is out there, you know, manned up. It's not like the safety isn't rolling towards Metcalf's side as well. In addition to that, it certainly is still happening too. Yeah. I think Charvarius Ward definitely gets handsy. I, I think the secondary has gotten handsy in general. I think they did it this last week. What I, what I will say about Ward's game and he's, he's a veteran and I think savvy veterans know how to do this. They, they know where officials are and, and where they are not. They know where their eyes are aligned and when they are not. And so you're going to pick it up on all 22, but, but maybe just maybe he's disguising it well from the officials, depending on angles. Um, or he's also, I think he'd done a good job and he, I think he did a, a really good job of this with, with AJ Brown. Although AJ still had himself a day, even though the Eagles got toasted, he did a really good job making AJ Brown get physical back. So then it's like, okay, we're just both hand fighting. That's all we're doing here. And um, and so I think that those are some veteran moves. But yeah, I agree. I think that I do think that Ward gets very handsy, and a lot of players have this. You know, Lane Johnson is a guy that we complained about a lot going into the game against the Eagles, and I'm sure you're going to see it if you haven't already, and your fan base is going to complain about it all game long when you watch him play. He is false starting every single play. Every single freaking play. But he's mastered it in a way that it just doesn't get called, and some players have that ability to to get away with things because of an angle or a, a little trick that they throw in or what have you. 
And and Ward has done a good job of that. You know, it it, it may be illegal, but he's yeah. definitely found a way to get away with it for whatever reason. But uh, I agree, he is very handsy. No, there's. And, no and I wouldn't tell him to stop. I wouldn't. To your point, I wouldn't tell him to stop. Or you gotta do this is a, no. you know have some definitely honor. Like, no, like if you get away with it, I mean, get away with it. And mm -hmm. you know, we had a guy in Sherman. You had a guy there in Sherman that was also a guy that knew how to walk very and handsy. toe that line. So yeah, um, I get it on that. But it's also a point of where. It, it, in some of the 22, it's been over the top. Let me just say that. And I've, I've had four games the last two years of 22 to watch between these guys because they are more often than not matched up. And there are so many times when he's 10 yards down the field where it's just he's getting mugged. And you're right about the physicality, but it's, it doesn't make it better to me because the contact's being initiated by the corner. You know, it's the hands first go from the corner out to the receiver. And then the receiver's like, damn, like, I, I, I what are you doing? You know, is this the blob? Or are you going to, you know, what's going down? And so, from it's hard for me at that point to then nod back to the corner going, well, just doing a good job, just doing your job. Then at that point I go, well, look, you got away for more power to you. Keep it up. But I ain't giving you the flowers. I'm throwing the bouquet in the trash. <laughs> Fair enough. Coach says, uh, this is going back to our blitzing conversation. He said, blitzing is basically an element of the game that lends itself to situations that call for it. Blitzing for the sake of doing it is one thing. Blitzing because it's actually working is another. Yeah, and I think that there have been times that Seahawks have blitzed and it worked, and then they just stopped doing it. <laughs> you know, they just don't blitz for any sake. No, and and I I, I kind of what is he kind of what was he saying in that comment? I'm just trying to unpack a little bit what he meant I, with it because I, I think I think he's I I think that overall he's just saying that you know you you first of all you have to blitz, mm -hmm. you have to know the right time to blitz. Yeah. You can't just blitz all the time to blitz, but you, there has to be an element of mixing things up and, and being smart enough of knowing when the right times are and, and when to pull on those strings and when not, when to pull and when to push basically is really all he's saying. hundred percent. And that's definitely like we were talking about coach on this where it's, it isn't just to say, let's go be a number. Let's go be the Vikings. Let's go turn into that. It's to say, take yourself from being last year, the 32nd ranked team in blitzing this year, you're at the like 23rd or something um, to get yourself into that middle of the road state. And, and then also like Jesse had talked about that, the, 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 um, trying to get a little more complex on the backside on how you're trying to kind of disguise things and what you show pre-snap the post-snap. And some of that's on the back of showing a blitz. Sometimes it's bringing a blitz. Sometimes it's dropping them into coverage, but so much of what we do is just simplistic and, you know, mean potatoes. There's no, there's no, you know, no sauce, no seasoning. It's just, it's you, what you see is what you're going to get. And I think that makes it so much easier to play against. Um, but no, I'm definitely not advocating if I just want to make sure I'm not having seem like I'm saying that we just need to just blitz and run man coverage and let, let, let you know, every <laughs> single time. That's what we're Come doing. With now. Come with me. You know, not necessarily <laughs> that. I get, you definitely got to mix it up. That's for sure. Coach. Brother Bob says over under Gino says, Oh, ish three times this, this Sunday. <laughs> hey, say what you will about him, him saying uh, that with Aaron Donald was, was coming down right down the pike on a stunt, but Aaron Donald ended up breaking him this year. So yeah. like, I mean, he, he had a bruise that went from here all the way to here on the underside of his arm. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of gave him a hard time at that time for it too. But then later in the year, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'd be saying, oh, shit too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was on to something because he got wrecked. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a mean, uh, mean man. Matt, I know you were a little bit late to the show and, and we had a comment similar to this one. Uh, earlier but he says philly blitz purdy and it went like 10 of 11 200 yards three touchdowns that didn't work yeah we we talked about it but 
I think it's all about an element of surprise. You know, when the one of the rare times that Seattle blitzed last game, it resulted in a pick six. And also, when you look at a team like the Vikings that blitz like crazy against Purdy, we also know that Purdy's great against zone as well. So if you're blitzing and playing zone behind it, you're you're just not going to be successful. You're going to get picked apart. But if you blitz like crazy, and then like like Minnesota did, and then at the end of the game you show blitz and drop back in his own coverage, and he's anticipating being hurried up, we saw that that can cause some issues. It's really just about mixing things up. You you can't just blitz every time. You can't just play man every time. You can't just play soft zone and not blitz every time. You just have to mix things up, show things, change them up. And Seattle really does none of that. They show you exactly what they're doing pre-snap. They keep it post-snap. And that's really the issue in Seattle. Um, so there's the recap. So you don't have to go back and necessarily watch it. Uh, <laughs> Brother Bob says, Darnold gets a half quarter mop up time this Sunday. <laughs> God, dude. We, we do want to see more of Steve Young in the making, right? Uh, Most talented quarterback in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Matt says Gino better learn to climb the pocket instead of backing away and give the edges free runs. It's hard yeah, to climb the pocket whenever there's pressure coming from every direction. Yeah, that's true. It's, you know, that to me is like the biggest death sentence, though. I think when a quarterback just tries to evade backwards, I just, I, I hate watching it. Now, sometimes it has to happen, but if if that's your only trick is to just go Madden and, and just fade back, back, back until somebody's open, like that's just not going to work in the NFL long term. It's like my biggest, if I see it on film from a quarterback, I immediately point it out and, and I dock them big time if they're a college quarterback and they're coming to the nfl doing that that garbage 100 but that's also where this comes back to you when you've got a play where i drop back to pass and i have multiple guys generating pressure that edge guy's generating that pressure but where's the pocket point for me to step up if hardgrave's up there right there i'm looking him right down the barrel of the gun right there because he's busted his guy off the block on the inside where do i go but to back up i'm not saying it's the right way to go but there ain't a third exit here you know, I mean, it's, it comes down to, you've got to pass protect better. And I know Matt, you're new to the show tonight where we talked about, you know, we've been from about week 13 onward to right now from, if you take that time period, we've probably been somewhere between 28 and 32nd and pass blocking efficiency. That means everybody across the board is doing a bad job. Not just the outside inside guys, especially the inside guys is where it's going bad. So we talked about stepping up. We've been bad in pass protection, but we've been especially bad in pass protection over the past two years in the middle of our offense, which is where you'd have to step up for. I can show you a collection of, of, of snaps of Geno stepping up in the pocket when pressure is coming around the edge, when it's there to step up. And I'm not saying that there hasn't been times this year, by the way, where Geno hasn't necessarily played his best. To me, some of it's cumulative. Some of it's hard to assess because like we talked about the parameters he's having to deal with. Some of it's the cumulative thing. Why I don't like to do that to young quarterbacks is that you get him bashed early on, you get him seeing ghosts, and then you end up with uh, what was it, David Carr? You know, whose car, whose whole career got thrown off in the Texans because for the first two years he had no line and just got beat all the hell. And then he was a shell of himself by the end. And that's what happens to QBs. It's not like a, it's like a fighter thing. You, you, I know you've covered fighting. Tell me if I'm wrong on this. Guys get their button punched one too many times. And what happens? How easy is it to punch that button again? How easy did it put that guy, a guy who once had an iron jaw of steel? Now, suddenly with one punch gets thrown to the floor and it's the cumulative nature like that can also add up on a football field to a quarterback, especially when I'm talking about since week 13 of last year, we're going almost a year of every week. Oh, 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 
every snap after snap after snap to think that the human nature of that is that, well, you should just be mentally stronger and just uh, fly above it, soar above that, be, be Superman, which is a lot of a lot of people think a quarterback should be, which I don't. I think you are, you are a little bit reliant upon what's happening in front of you, especially when stuff that's happening in front of you is going downward direction to an extreme degree. I think this is a, a great, great super chat to transition to the Geno Smith conversation. So I'm not going to fully rehash the conversation from last year, but I, I am going to reframe the question this year. So last year, Geno Smith was up to be paid, right? That is not the case this offseason. He did get paid. I know that that was something that you were advocating for. You didn't necessarily want them to draft another quarterback. You believed in Geno. And it, it sounds like you still do. You just want to see some things be around him, around him be a little bit better. Understandable. My question is, is do you think that they should start to figure out the future other than Geno this year and, and draft a quarterback and try to develop them, whether that's round two, three, four, what have you, or are you comfortable rolling with Geno going forward and trying to continue to just build things around him? What would be your preference this offseason? I think that it's kind of going to be one of the same with it. You're right with Geno because, and then that does have you drafting a quarterback. Um, so you end up with both, I think, where he comes back next year. And then you do, like you say, I think rather than that first round pick, it's somewhere between the second and fourth round. You target one of these guys and seek to maybe replicate what you did with Russell Wilson, which was mm -hmm. a third round pick after you'd already built the team up. So trying to kind of fit to the old blueprint with that a little bit and how you set the stage there for him. So those two guys then have competition. You have a cheap option as your backup quarterback as you start to pay Gino a little bit more. His contract is still in a really good place. So um, you're good to go there. That's where I think it's been the one common place that Seahawks fans can all kind of come to is the people that just hate Gino and people that have our foe Gino. And like we can all kind of come and drink from the same well here where we say that whether you're pro or against, we're probably taking a quarterback regardless of that point. You're going to get your thing. And if he is that bad, and if he's so not up to snuff, then that rookie quarterback should be coming in and be able to beat him out at that point, right? Because you're getting in true competition. He's not just being given hand of the job, so to speak. Um, I, I don't know for sure that he's really good. I think he's good. It's just been impossible for me to make the assessment with some of what's been set up in front of him. I mentioned yeah. you already about, the, about the, the things you're dealing with up front. But take this last game against the Niners. Let's just take – I like to sometimes look at little one plays that I think just sometimes speak about what's going on. We got a guy in Dwayne Eskridge that we take in the second round. We draft him to be our Debo Samuel. We bring in Waldron to take McVay's offense and utilize the fly sweep bubble screen game aspect of it. The kid's been beat up all the help, can barely get on the football field. We finally get him on the football field for the game up against it with you guys. We give him a fly sweep, a play that we've probably run four or five times on the year. You guys run five times and a half. We've run five. We run it. We get 10 yards. Free 10 yards, by the way. He didn't have to break tackles. He just took it. You guys weren't ready for it. Got to the edge, 10-yard play. Did we go back to it again, Jesse, in that game? One time. Did we one time go back to that play in that game? One time. Have we gone to it back in two weeks since we ran that play? Did we do it in the Cowboy game? <laughs> no. No. So that's also a part of this, too, is it's the talent, but it's also that you have a scheme, and this is where we do get back to Coach Carroll. This offense looks startlingly close to the offenses under Russell Wilson being that you're trying to hammer the middle of the of the, the, the line and be gap runs, you're trying to then take shots over the top. How many nine routes did we run against you guys in the last matchup? There's no in-between. There's no intermediate. There's no middle-of-the-field attack. 
it's it's either hammer hammer a b gaps because that's what you do with russell you know you get the safety up in the box you get the single high and then russell can dance around there and let those guys develop their routes down the field and he can hit you deeper scramble away and get some yards on the ground that's what it was before it was a simplistic offensive attack we were supposed to modernize but there's no modernization it looks a lot more like it's like a mirror off of 2017 in so many respects not only the, the fly sweep by the way no outside zones no pitch plays we might run one of them in this game or two of them but i think that's all we ran the last game against you and that's not enough like how much you guys run it how much there's a balance in how your guys' running game works versus the inside versus the outside you never know where it's going to go you know the the fly swipe the fly sweep man coming across that defense eyes is on him. He might get the ball there, and that might take it away off the running back then. You know, we don't challenge in that same kind of way. Makes it, again, harder to assess. Makes it harder to assess that QB and who he is and what he is when those things all get kind of removed in mass. Yeah, there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of movement in the offense. There's not a lot of pre-snap motion. There's just – we talk about having the answers to the tests, you know, and, and Seattle gives every quarterback the answers to the test. But the 49ers – help Purdy a lot in all of their quarterbacks by running pre-snap motion and helping try to find the answers to the test, regardless of what it is that they're facing or who they're facing it against. And Seattle doesn't do that, do that a lot either. It's like, man, you're literally just lining up and it's like, okay, our guys are better. And like the way yeah. that they, they coach is almost, I know that this isn't the intention, but it's like arrogance and the fact that, Mm -hmm. you're coaching as if your players are just way better than whoever you're going against. And it's like, if we just line up and play football, we're going to come out and we're going to win every week. And it's like, no, that is such an old school mentality. And it's, it's archaic and it's on both sides of the football. It's like, my gosh, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, it's readily apparent everywhere you look, every little in minute detail we get to on this team from how they play coverages to when they decide to blitz to how they run. It all comes back to that again and again. And I think you're right. Archaic is the right word to utilize. It's not that Coach Carroll's too old to still be a really great co head coach. It has nothing to do with his age. It's about the mentality of lingering in this late 1980s, late 1980s offense and defense and, and expecting in the modern age that it's going to work when you have all these other coaches that are just in there shaking their head going, really? This is this is what you're going to try to do? You think that this is going to work? And you're right. I think your your view of it's right. They just think our guys are going to go out there and beat the other guys, and that's how they'll get it done. And you need to do more than that as a coaching staff in this modern era. That's not enough. Yeah, absolutely. Brother Bob says, Nails did this last time. Draft talk because the hacks suck. Also, <laughs> though, I, I will say this, though. I've built up some good rapport with Brandon, and I trust his eye. He's He does a ton of scouting. I, in fact, I was talking with Coach today about this uh we were talking about other content creators with from other teams and he brought up Vach lombardi mm -hmm. Vach lombardi most people know is a dallas cowboy content creator but really he grew a big following outside of the dallas cowboy community he grew his following from being kind of a, a draft expert and really diving deep and and breaking down these prospects and, and geeking out during the offseason and i really respect what what brandon does i mean he more so than 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 I do. I, I really geek out over the quarterback position. And you know, I'm I'm definitely not right 100 percent of the time. But you look at my history over quarterbacks, I've I've done a very, very good job on hitting on quarterbacks. Brandon does a good job across all the positions, and I really trust his eye and and what he's seen over the last couple of years. He's hit on a lot of these players from other positions. So for me, like when I have him on and I know he's He's also doing this earlier than myself. 
I wait till the off season to kind of start that process. He kind of does it throughout the year. So I like to geek out and just kind of almost make sure that I'm up to snuff and I can do that by bouncing some ideas off of Brandon. So whether the Seahawks are good or not, I'm going to have these conversations because I think he does a good job with, with his uh, draft analysis. I do. So. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate that. And you know, we're going to be doing a stream around draft time again, once this uh, season. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We will. Dave says CJ gives all the glory to God. That's why I love him. Yes, I think CJ's uh, CJ's a, a good kid. He's got his head screwed on straight, and and also that's why I I resonate with on a personal level with Brock Purdy as well. Uh, we we see eye to eye and and some of our beliefs. So Jordan uh, Jordan says, didn't Jody kind of move more power to John her first year here? Maybe Jody has more in her than we thought. Well, I'll say this to that. That's great point, Jordan. Um, there's been a, a wonderment of whether or not Pete Carroll has had the vice presidential duties taken away from him mm -hmm. and that now merely he is just a head coach because always for the last 10 years, of course, he's had the power over John Schneider, the general manager, not vice versa. That's how that dynamic worked. He hired John. Now John hired Pete. So that that has always existed where he's had a little bit of that overarching control and people have wondered the last couple of years, if not, maybe that's been taken away because there was right around the Russell Wilson time period where sort of a okay, what's working? What isn't? What do we got to do here? I've not ever gotten full confirmation, Jordan, as of yet that he's had the vice presidential duties taken or that John has assumed those duties. They never publicly acknowledged that it had occurred. And so it certainly is a guess that it maybe happened. I will say this, John, I do believe that Paul Allen would have let go Carol by this point. It's mm. been 10 years since you've been to the Super Bowl. 10 years. You mentioned a guy in, uh, there's a couple guys we can mention on this that I think are noteworthy. Number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars have more playoff wins than us since 2017. Our record in that playoffs is one in five. The one win coming up against the Eagles on the road when Winston went down and they were down their backup and we're playing 42-year-old Carson Wentz or uh, Josh McDown, who literally tore his hamstring off the bone in the game, literally in game, and had it out there, out there wobbling around, you know, outrunning Ziggy Ann's side of the edge. And, and they stuff. still almost lost that game. And still almost lost that game. We yeah. still took it took a DK 50-yarder down the field to close up the shop on that one. Mm -hmm. So you, you've not been good. You've not been a contender in recent note. I mean, the number of wins you guys have had in the playoffs and Rams have had in the playoffs during that time period, how far you guys have gotten in, the, in that time period, it just it pales in comparison. And so if she truly does have that power and that, that inclination to be, if it's not right, I'll go in and make it right. Well, then now is the time to step on up to the plate. And it ain't about removing vice presidential duties. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about something looks inexplicably broken here. You got Jamal Adams coming back this year, the Leonard Williams trade, a much more talented defense. You're not starting three rookies on the defense like before. The one rookie you're starting is maybe your best defensive player, Witherspoon, to your point. Yet this team is 25th in points allowed. And last year they were 25th in points allowed. We're regressing. We're not progressing in year two of the rebuild. And Carroll's had a long time to turn this over a multiple amount of times. And we've not found that success. And I think that her brother wouldn't have stood on this and she shouldn't stand on this. So it's, it's kind of like, okay, show me, show me that that's the truth. You know, it's more than just taking the duties. Like show me that you want to get the right person in because it's not looking right now. And I don't know how we look to the brightness in the future because all of the things you and I have talked about for as tough as they are to deal with this throughout this season, as hard as they've been the last couple of years, they're not looking to change in any time in the future on any of this stuff. There is no point we have. We can guess, we can hope, we can pray, but there's nothing they're showing us or telling us that there's actually going to be change enacted in any way across the board at all.
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think Seattle's done a, a great job, and not a lot of teams can do this. I think year one was great post-Russell Wilson. It couldn't have gone any better. We talked about how they overachieved last year. They did. They they should not have been a playoff team, especially preseason. You look at that team. Pete Carroll seems to do a good job in helping his teams overachieve in a lot of instances. But then when they get really good, sometimes they underachieve in a lot of instances. It he he's and and really what what I think this stems from is that Pete Carroll was a great college coach. Great college coach. And so when it comes to turning a program around and getting that initial success from young players, he excels at that. But once the players are in place and the veterans are there and everybody's paid, and uh, yes, he's got the one ring, but you're starting to see like maybe that's not his strength. Maybe his strength is, is building the team up and getting it ready. But taking it to that next level is not exactly what he is at this stage of his coaching career. And I think that it would be time. And and you don't want to do it when a team has lost all talent. You don't want to do it in three, four years when now these guys that are young or have big contracts to keep them around. You've lost talent in other places. Right now, if you were to remove him from the situation and bring in another head coach, Seattle's job would be highly coveted. I agree. If you give me a chance of going to Seattle, who's given stability to their coach in the past and has a ton of talent, or going to uh, Carolina, what are we even talking about? Th- these things are not... I don't care if the 49ers won the Super Bowl and I've got to deal with the defending Super Bowl champs. That is irrelevant. At least I've got things to work with in Seattle, and I know that I'm going to be given the opportunity to succeed without being pushed out the door if I start out two and 10 or whatever, that's not going to happen in Seattle. So I think Seattle's job right now is the, the probably the best selling point it can get to. Oh, and by the way, even though you're paying Gino a lot of money, it's a short term contract, which means you can replace him on the fly. If you don't like what Gino brings, now's the time to move on from Pete Carroll. If it's going to happen. Agreed. I can't, I can't offer more. That's great points on your part and um, fully with you on it. And that this is a time to do it because it's an attractive job. You're year two of the rebuild. You're getting ready to try to slingshot this forward. It can't be um, inhibited by the coaching staff into the future. And that's where it's looking. So strike now, get the great candidate. We've had three really great hires in Seattle in my lifetime. And all of them have come by. Why go to a guy like Harbaugh? They've all come with guys who have a track record. I think you'd be able to get that kind of guy that would look at that and go, yeah, there's maybe the Niner incentive there where he can kind of stick it to them. I mean, that was the whole thing. Supposedly, you remember back in the day with him going to the Niners and with Carroll already, you know, going with with Seattle and that is that he chose the Niners to rather than the Dolphins because, you know, wanted to stay West Coast. I don't know. There's there's some stuff on that. So we'll see how it plays out with that. But I, I the time's come. Um, another thing we haven't talked about, discipline. Um, you know, that's a little bit of what you have here too, with some of these players, these older players you talk about that you wonder with, because some of the older players, are the most undisciplined players and you go, you know, okay, that's another part you do get with, with Carol, we're, we're the most disciplined team in football and by a wide margin, we've been the most penalized team in football four times in the past 10 years. We've never been top 10, in the least most penalized team in that time period either. So another thing, probably not necessarily improving in the future if we don't make a change. Yeah, absolutely. Brother Bob says, Brandon, don't cry about the refs this Sunday. I didn't last time, you guys. 
I think it's going back to the the DK conversation. Oh, with Ward. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, the Ward stuff happened when I watched the tape last time, but we lost the game. It wasn't. I'm not one of those guys that go, "This is how we, you know, lost game." When it comes to the officials, like I said, it does. This is a it, hopefully to illustrate what I just talked about with Jesse. It's a great time with his comment here because you know, my team's been f- the number one most penalized team in the sport is four times in the last ten years. It's never been in the top ten in the least penalized, right? Never. Not, I'm not talking about number one least penalized. I'm talking the top 10 least penalized in the sport. So one of two things are at play here, okay? We're either the most undisciplined football team in football by a wide margin, or maybe sometimes we don't always get some of the benefits of the doubt. I'm not saying I know it to be one or the other, but I am saying it is one of those two things. So which is it? There is no option in between on this, in my opinion. And I think there are some games. I don't think the game we played, you guys, for instance, was this way, just because um, Ward gets away with that against every team, not just Metcalf, but every team, you know, he's going to get, like you said, he's a physical guy. That's the way that works. But it didn't, it didn't, that was not the difference in why we won or lost the game. We lost the game because we lost. So we weren't as good as you guys. Um, so there's no excuses given. But there's been games like the, the, I don't know if you watched it with us, the Rams game, or another game where we had a 13 penalties and, you know, there's just some ticky tack calls where you're like, what in the name of God? And it's, it's a reverse thing too. The thing you have to watch for with us that we get, we got this in the Cowboys game this last week. It's not the sheer number of penalties. It's also, there's going to be three penalties over the game where there's a call. It's on the other team. They get together and have their little happy conference and then they walk away and wipe it. So that also is what happens <laughs> every single week too, and multiple times over. And it gets old because every play you got to like, look for the, is it flag? Can I, can I celebrate this? Do I got to wait? Uh, hold. Okay. I get to celebrate. No, I don't. Oh, there's the flag. But no, you, uh, you definitely triggered a lot of people with that comment, uh, Anthony, and he actually did bring up LOB and said that I know that we, you know, Sherman and whatever, uh, the Hawks fans complaining about DBs being handsy. Sir, did you watch LOB play? Yeah, he did. He definitely did. And, and I will say this Niner fans. I get it. No sympathy. We we remember that NFC Championship game, and we felt like we got jobbed in that one. I I totally, totally get get where you are coming from. Trust me, old wounds are still open when it comes to some of that. Uh, but both things can be true. You know what I mean? I, Ward is definitely handsy. He he is. Uh, he's great at, at getting away with it. It's not just against Seattle. And also, the 49ers got robbed in that NFC Championship game. That's that's the story I'm sticking to, anyways. <laughs> that that works, and yeah, I'm not. But for the record, I'm not complaining at all. I'm just saying this is what I saw on tape. I see this thing on tape. I've watched the last four times. I've watched the all twenty-two, and specifically, I'm targeting and on Warden DK's matchup and watching what those two are doing as they're going up the field. So it's it's only indicative of what I'm just seeing on the tape. If you want to call that complaining, you can call it complaining. But it's I, I would I would ask anybody that disagrees go watch that tape and tell me you're not seeing kind of the same thing. Now again, to the point, Richard got away with it. Then you get away with it. If your guy gets, then get away with it. It's in play. It's not on the. It's not on the. It's on the player. I just merely said I'm not. Rather than complain, I'm not giving him his flowers for this. This is a thing that Niner fans come into my chat and love to do after Ward has one of these games where they love to to puff up their chest and go, "See, shut down corner on DK." And then I go watch all 22, and I'm watching him maul DK up the football field on nearly a snap by snap basis. It's it, it it's a tough road for me to cross to start going to him and going. Yeah, Ward, one of the best corners in the game. I'll tell you what, when I'm watching that, it's not saying he's got to have stopped doing it or that this is some big issue that the NFL's got to crack down upon. And whereas with Richard, I, I will say with Richard and us, they did crack down on us with it. We had them enforce rules and policies as you went through the LLB era 
to make sure that you took that handsiness away. So, you know, it did come back to impact, but it's a fair point, Anthony. And certainly I wouldn't argue that those our corners weren't certainly handsy with Browner and Sherman, especially back in the day, um, every bit as much. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to say necessarily that, you know, Sherman locked a guy down. If I was watching him all day, clinging onto a guy either, you wouldn't have seen me say that either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's like more comments about it. Matt says, you do know that DK hand checks downfield as well. From the tape that I've watched on this, um, when it comes to the initiating contact and who more often than not initiates it between Ward down the field past the five-yard point, Ward is the guy initiating the contact initially. It, it, now, should just the receiver sit there and just not do anything to that and not react and not push back or get the guy's hands off and he should just be running through his route and ignoring it? I mean, maybe. I, I kind of go to what starts the whole thing at the first point, which is that you're not supposed to be impacting the receiver like that 10 yards down the field when the quarterback's still in the pocket. And the rules are either the rules or they're not. And if we're allowed to play that way, then we get to play. Everybody gets to play that way, right? So, like, what is – I just say, where's the line at is all I ask for with it. Um, is DK a physical guy? Yeah, but it, what happens with him, like I was – and I know, Matt, you came on late. He has a little bit of the hack a shack thing go on. Shaquille O'Neal had this thing go on where he was so big in the NBA that – Officials wouldn't always call stuff that they would call on center on center or other guys that would take the same kind of physical pounding he would because he was just so big and so much dominant in size than the other guy across from it. It's not just in Ward, but I see it with other corners too. Um, Matt, I was trying to make a comparison. For instance, the touchdown DK had this last week against Dallas on Bland in one-on-one -on -one coverage. At the stem of the route, 10 yards down the field, if you go watch that play, you can watch Bland's hands right down around the waist of Metcalf trying to prevent him from getting past the stem of the route into the post route trying to prevent him from getting to the football, holding him up from getting to the football. That when I see that on tape, I then don't go to the cornerback and go, great play corner. I go, you got away with one. Good job. Good on you. I, I, I don't expect you to do anything different, but I'm not going to sit there and lodge you for doing something amazing at that point when that's what I'm seeing. You got one more, and then you got a uh, Seahawks fan coming to your defense here in a second. Brother Bob says, so you're saying that DK... Seahawks are soft, y'all are trash. <laughs> He's just relentless. Right? I'll give Bob, he comes hard. I'll give him that. He does. Bob comes he hard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Radu says Ward is below average at best. Have someone like Woolen uh, come take his spot, and you guys wouldn't look back. Ward got put on his ass by DK in the playoffs. Well, there's a Seahawks fan fighting back. I like it. Well, that was the thing. My my chats. That's a big a kind of opinion that's in my chat on is that the in the playoff game you actually had one where they started to call Ward in that game. They started to make him toe the line on the calls, mm -hmm. and that that's what freed up DK in that game versus some of these other matchups. Because I'm, I'm not saying this is my this is opinion Rodu's presenting that has been presented to me. So I'm not saying this like, but this is to his point on this, which is that now he had to play that straight up in that game, and then DK was able to get the better of him when he wasn't able to hold on to him and climb on his back and like a backpack, you know. Um, so. That's, I don't know, you know, when I, I don't know if I go fully to that point on my view of the thing, but I do go to Radu's bottom line, which is that I, I don't think it's, I don't think Ward's below average necessarily. I do think he's a, a good player, certainly a very good tackler. Um, and I think you can ask him to do a variety of different things that are useful as a corner as well. But I, I do think that putting him up in a place of, let's say, saying he's an all pro or that he's in, you know, no, he's, a, he's, he's what he is, but he gets away. He's got great technique. He's a savvy vet. Like you said, can't fault him for that. And he's effective, which is the bottom line. He's effective, whether it, it, it makes people bristle or not, then, you know, that's the way it is. But, um, yeah, I, it's been, I got those four games, man, Jesse watching the whole 22 of that. And I've had a couple of these locked on the matchup watching where I'm like, really, really? 
He's 15 <laughs> yards up the field and he's hanging on him. Like, and it's not DK going into him, grabbing him and pulling him on his chest, being like, come here, let me hug you. You know? I also, I think that there's an element too of like when players do it so often. Uh, and, and I think this is where Richard really thrived as well is when players do it so often, it's like, what are you, are you really going to call it every play? I mean, yeah. we're, we're forcing you to just call it every single play. And yeah. that's hard to do. I mean, refs just aren't going to do, they're not going to do that. They're not going to slow the game down to, to astronomically slow levels to do that. So then they just start to like, okay, well, which one's the worst one? Let me call that one. You know what I mean? So it cool. is, it's a, it's a savvy veteran move. It really is. Well, uh, Sauce, is the worst, Sauce is the worst at this. I mean, he's yeah, the worst Sauce. than Ward. And it's yeah. like, you watch Jets fans on Twitter show you a Sauce highlight, and I'll show you a man holding that guy all the way up the football field, <laughs> and then finally turning at the end, right? He's like... <laughs> they're like... <laughs> he goes, give me a break. Give me a break, Sauce. I love the quarterback position, man. There was a, a parody that was like four or five years ago. And uh, it, it was a corner parody, and it, it was literally like corner gets toasted off the line, six to ten yards of separation, deep ball, easily completed pass, and the receiver drops it, and the corner's like, oh, it's so <laughs> no true. good, no good. Like, it's yeah, so it's me. True. It was all me. He's, like, pumping so his chest true. and stuff. It was so good. It's getting more egregious, too. Like, we had Jamal do that <laughs> against Dallas last week where it's, like, third and third and seven and gives up a first down catch to the tight end. He's coming up all woofing on the tight end, and you're like, what are you woofing about? You gave up the first <laughs> down. Like, the first down, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here, you know? Blake says, I love it when the Niners piss Pete off so bad he throws his nasty <laughs> juicy fruit he's been chomping on all game yeah he does that a lot he always just like hucks it into the crowd I know. oh man i was joking he's gonna hit somebody he's gonna one of these days we're gonna have a, a hawk player come out with a it's bubblicious so it's even the bigger one when they'll come out with the bubblicious on the helmet he's gonna hit the helmet one of these days because he lets that thing rip and you don't know where it's gonna go the problem is bubblicious only holds his flavor for like a minute top so it's just terrible gum in, in general he's just going through it like crazy oh. brother bob says brandon i'm not calling you a bish but over the refs all right all right brother bob chill out chill out <laughs> uh he says how do you how do you trust his eyes when he has a puke green flag behind him <laughs> fair point bob. maybe he's fair colorblind point. maybe he's colorblind you don't know you yeah, don't know exactly. the ins and outs uh, Blake says your sash looks better than those highlight jerseys. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'm not a fan of the, the highlight. Oh, can I say this though? I, I don't listen. I don't care. Those Seahawks jerseys this last week were so yeah, yeah. fire. Is Aren't it? They? It's weird to me because a lot of these throwback jerseys that I see now, maybe it was just fuzzy televisions or something that ruined them. But you see them today and the, and obviously they're enhanced and Nike does a great job of, of making sure that these colors pop and you got your 4K TVs and whatever. Those jerseys were awful, I remember. But now you see them like kind of dig them, man. I wish yeah. I wish that was their full-time jersey. Like much like I wish the 94 Niners throwbacks were the full-time jersey for San Francisco. I thought sometimes those jerseys you, were fantastic this last week. Sometimes you create a timeless look, right? I mean, that's why some of these teams like Raiders have the same setup that they've always had is, is if it's timeless it's timeless if you hit the right spot you hit it you know and mm -hmm. i agree i think that there's 
I long said with these jerseys, when you guys finally get to see it, this is the first year we got to see the throwbacks ever, that this is the one everyone will want is the full time. And I think that's where the fan base is. We'd love to, if you took a poll, they would, I think overwhelmingly, we don't agree on anything, but I think we would agree on this, that yeah, we want the full times full time, like or the, the throwbacks full time. So uh, yeah. I, I, I don't like the highlighters. I, I like the wolf grays. I like those, but uh, yeah, if it's time, let's go back to it, man. And I think that they look so much better and sharper um, than what we got is kind of an updated New Jersey. Yeah, Seattle kind of did this uh, Oregon Duck thing for a while where it's like they were just changing their jerseys so much. And and obviously it's toned down a little bit, but it's like, man, the highlighter green and it just, ugh, so gross. So I don't, gross. I, I don't know. Yeah. Some fans love it. And I just, you know, I don't, I do not like it. It gives me seizures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan of it. James C. Kirk says, thanks, gentlemen. Jesse, always love the content. I appreciate you. When's your next call in show? Uh, still riding high from that Eagles win. Check out my special guest appearance on Krug's call-in show from tonight. I'll check it out, man. Uh, call-in shows are tough during the season. I, I really wish that I could run them every week. They kind of, during the season, have become become more of like a fill-in show. If I have a guest that can't show up or I can't book somebody for behind enemy lines, I'll throw it in. But it, it really is tough. I think, as you know, James C. Kirk, or if you don't, most people that that follow me for a while know that I don't do this full-time. Uh, I know that I put out enough content to where it feels like I might do this full-time, but I, I don't. And so, you know, I, I do have to... There, I have to do it within reason. And once I get my schedule down for the season, man, that I, I stick to that religiously. So uh, I, I would love to do it more often. During the off-season, I do it almost every week. We talk a ton, but during the season, it's it's definitely tougher to get to. For I sure. read that in Captain Kirk's voice, by the way. That whole that whole thing yeah, in my head. Yeah. When are nice. you going to get another call-in show? Now, please, <laughs> Jesse, do it today. I need it now. <laughs> I love it. Matt says, "Who won that playoff game?" All right, we did. We won that play. Come on, <laughs> we well, we're not talking about the one like the NFC and, Championship, right? And, we're talking about again, last year, yeah. No, the last four matchups. Let's get this. Let the record show, Jesse. I am not putting any. I am not excusing these losses by my team to something outside of the fact that we got our butt beat all four games. No excuses down the line on that. If that is how it seems, that's not what I want the record to show. We absolutely lost. I think. Games. I think he's more going back and forth with the uh, the uh, Redu who had called oh. us called it Redu, out and and because Redu's firing back and says who get won him, the Redu. Super Bowl last, Matt. <laughs> 30 plus years, right? There Get him, go. I do. There you go. Yeah. They're they're definitely uh it's a fist fight in the chat. You gotta you gotta love it. You gotta love it. All right, before we sign off, we we gotta do it. I think I know where you're leaning. And and I gotta say this. I uh I had a comment earlier this year, it was around week five-ish, week six-ish, something like that. And it really stuck in my craw, and it wasn't even about me, actually. It was about the guests that I've had for Behind Enemy Lines. And the comment simply said, all these guests that Jesse brings on are delusional. Of course, they're going to pick their team. Reality is, I mean, if you look at, at the guests that I've had on, I think outside of maybe two games, they've picked the Niners to win. A, lo a lot of these guys have picked the Niners to win, including you, Brandon. On Thanksgiving, you picked the Niners to win that game. I, it sounds like you're going that route again. I could be wrong, but what mm -hmm. is your score prediction for this weekend's matchup? 
I think what we have, I think I had 27-13 last time. What did mm-hmm. you guys win? What was it? 30-13, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, you were so pretty close. Pretty, I was pretty close last time. I did have a chance to see your show, by the way, with the Giants, which one of the funniest things to listen to those two talk themselves into. <laughs> that that was the one show that I remember that it was like, oh, man, okay, come on, that, guys. Come yeah, on. that was the one where I was listening on my night. Because I, when I was, I was listening for them, I was gonna maybe reach out to them for the preview show. And honestly, it was kind of for me at that point. I was like, I'm gonna maybe look for a different Giants fan <laughs> when these ones. Like, come on, guys! And they're both like trying to pump the other one up to get him to that to the side of winning. But no, I would say yeah. um, sim- similar score. I would think. Um, I think because I don't know that you guys are gonna be the, the prime time matchup coming in the first place on the line like the last matchup. I don't know if you guys. I think the whole thing like we talked about at the top. Niner fans feeling a little bit, maybe like this will maybe be a game we kind of come through and go hit the cruise control button. We'll be fine. And you know, Ooh, that might be troublesome if you do still, nonetheless, I think you guys end up separating out. Um, we maybe are able to make a little bit of a game through the first couple quarters, but then it just things play out the way they've been playing out the last four matchups. Uh, I don't expect a lot to change. We're not coming into this game. I think healthier than you guys. Uh, I think we're in the, the worst side of it. You mentioned the back situation. I don't expect Walker to play. I don't know what's going on with the bleak, but he didn't practice Wednesday. Charbonnet didn't practice Wednesday. You might get DJ Dallas, which uh, would be a nightmare. Um, as far as the running back position goes, because we've needed those backs to get the yards when there's no holes being created. Like they'll get you a three yard game when it should have been a negative two. And uh, you're not going to get that in that game. So it's you guys it's can go. Like, you guys can go sign up, uh, claim Ty Davis Price off of waivers. We waived him yesterday. We may, we may have to. It's that or Marshawn at this point. We might go back to beast mode and get the bat Marshawn, signal up yeah. in the sky. I don't know, man. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to maybe do something. We always got some. Our running backs are always decimated. But um, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a. It's it's going to be a relatively easy, I think, win for the Niners. And just unfortunately, you know, you guys are playing some of your best ball of the year. We're playing some of our worst, and uh, we're getting held back by a variety of things across the board. I just don't see those all getting fixed in a week or getting close to getting fixed. You got to you got to have a lot of that stuff in alignment to beat this Niners team with where you guys are at, um, especially with you guys at full health. I, I think if you guys are at full health, you're in the Super Bowl. You got not, and I, I think it's, I know you say that, we say that about a lot of teams, but I think you guys are the, as much as any team in this league, that's kind of at the forefront of the most important thing here, which, uh, you know, start to load manage Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Can we load manage him just a little bit, please? The man's bleeding on pillows and bruised to hell. Like just, just, a, just dial a little bit back. Right. You know, you've been telling me you got a Marshawn line. Show me the Marshawn guy you've been telling me about for years there. Bring out that Marshawn guy. What's his name? What's Jordan name? Mason. Give me Mason. Give me a little bit of Mason, okay? Telling what's, you. Wrong with, what's wrong with Elijah? What's wrong with Elijah? Did he get in the doghouse? Hey. Did he get in that Shanahan doggy? Is that what happened? Is he in the I love it when the Seahawks fan comes in and tells us exactly what we've been saying all damn year long. Give this guy some rest. I get stressed. Oh. I get stressed watching it. It it makes me start to sweat watching them continue to hammer him, with, especially when you have a three touchdown lead. Eh, keep trotting him out there. You know, it's like, what are you doing? What are you, tough. <laughs> I, I I literally had this thought in my mind. Like Shannon trying to toughen guys up. Is this like an old school toughen him up? Like you know, we'll batter him until he's he's you can cut him out of steel. You know, or something. I I don't know, but Jesus, please, you know, because Caffrey makes this as much as anything makes the engine go, and it's it's such a perfect working of parts right now offensively and defensively is working good too, but the offense, especially with how it all works together, you know, everything, you know, one to the other, it's, it's a little bit of, in my opinion, like the LOB defense in the way that, you know, the thing that the Hawk fans would do at times that they'd go, you know, Earl Thomas is only good because of Cam Chancellor. 
And Richard Sherman's only good because Earl Thomas can cover all that space and his limitation on his speed gets neutral. And it, and it well, but there, the secondary is only good because you got the front four that can do this to this. And it's a little bit like, I feel like that with your offense where it's like the, the Debo part frees up then McCaffrey on the runs to this. And then you got Kittle there. That's going to be kind of the forgotten man times because they're concentrating and it all is just working. Like Shannon's got like a symphony right now, but you can't have, you can't lose your strings. Can't lose your horns. You got to have it all going. I think to get them, to get your guys where you want to go this year. So. And he's the he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink, you know. So I, I, he's very important. So I agree with you. I would like to ease off a little bit on Christian McCaffrey and his usage, but you know he's, he's trying to get him an MVP award. He or Brock, they're they're shooting for it. So we'll see. We'll see what he does, man. We'll see what he does. But that's annoying if that's what they're doing. And that whole <laughs> touchdown record thing was a little bit of what was driving that, right? The touchdown record thing. Yeah. Like what's yeah. getting the touchdown record thing. And it's like, sorry, who gives a who gives a lick? You know what I mean? Yeah. We're winning Super Bowls here. I don't care about records. I don't want I could give a, a rat's behind about records. Let's we're getting let's get to the Super Bowl. That's what the eye of the prize gotta be. And I worry. And if he gets busted up here on the back of a game where he's had 20 carries and he ends up with 400 touches this year. I, I, you know, before you get to the playoffs, 350, 400 before you get to the playoffs, like that's not proper load management. And boy, you're rolling them dice on, on that when you get up to that stage of things, I feel like a little bit. But who am I? I shouldn't be one to question. Yeah, he's doing just fine with how he's making it work. So it just, <laughs> it, I, it just stresses me out. Like I just watch him carry after carry. I'm like, do they have another back? Do they have another back? Like, <laughs> Is there anybody else that can touch anybody? this football? <laughs> yeah, just give it to Debo a little more or something, man. <laughs> Oh man, I, I'm going to go a similar route as you. I think the spread is uh, around 10 and a half. I think the 49ers are going to cover. I'm going to go 34 to 20 San Francisco. Uh, I think that I think seeing a team a second time might help a little bit, keep it a little bit closer. I think Seattle's a little bit healthier, at least in some areas than they were last game. 49ers are a little bit more banged up maybe in some areas than they were last game, but I think ultimately the 49ers are just too damn good right now. I, I don't see them losing this game. So I'm going to go 34 to 20, but I will say much like I'm begrudgingly a, a Cowboys fan for th about three ish hours this week, I will be a Seahawks fan the following week for about three ish hours as they play the Eagles, because we need all the help in the world and if the Eagles lose this week, I still would want them to lose one more just so that the 49ers have that buffer to lose an extra game themselves and go ahead and get that number one seed. So I will be rooting for the Seahawks to beat the Eagles. I just don't think they can get it done against the 49ers, though. Yeah, there'll be a lot. I think it's going to be an easier matchup, if I can say the Eagles, and it's at least enheartening for us to see that the Eagles get blown out by the Niners like we did, so that at least we can go, well, maybe that that equals then that maybe we can at least play with the Eagles in there, and then we've got a chance to carve out one of those important ones, like you said. we got to get a win over the next two games, along with the rest of the schedule, to get in. So um, yeah. that, that definitely would be nice if it could go that way, too, from our standpoint. Uh, Matt is responding to Redu and says, my God, live in the past. I love our five Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> uh daniel says would rather have puke green than <laughs> <laughs> jerseys the winer's going to be in pms mode when they fall short of the super bowl again uh well played well i listen i i love the banter and that was a well-played comment uh you're wrong but i i i listen i 
I might be biased, but I actually genuinely do think the 49ers have some of the better uniforms in the league. They're simple, but the gold with the red is just, I love that look, man. I do love that look. But I do like the older jerseys like comment. you do, though, too. I'm more older Niner jersey on that, the 90s jersey. The jersey you guys oh. had rock with the uh, the young Super Bowl. That's got to be the one yeah. right there. That's the one, the 94, yeah. Hey, Zeus says, Niners win 31-17. If I get it right, you buy me a hat, Jesse. <laughs> 31-17. You know what? You're the only one that says it, and I'm not doing it for everybody. If it's 31-17, I'll get you a hat, Jesus. There you go. go. Radu says, here we go. As he brings <laughs> up the past five Super Bowls, that's 1980s talk. I think that was the point, Radu, is that he was bringing up the past because you were bringing up the past. I love this, that you guys are fighting <laughs> with each other through the chat. This is great. Brother Bob, oh, this is a good question. It says, Brandon, who's the MVP? Is it CMC, Purdy, Tyreek Hill, Tua, who? Who, do, who is your league MVP? Um, I would go... I think it's hard not to give it to Tyreek if he busts 2,000 yards as a receiver. I, I think I just have to go that route. I would then go CMC is probably like a two, I guess, or somewhere it's easy to be up there ahead of to me than Purdy. I Look, Purdy's definitely won me over a lot further than where I've been initially with him. I think it's very hard to give a guy like that the MVP when you've got Shanahan and the parts that he has in this offense to work with. It's not that he's not playing well with it or that they're carrying him in some way. I don't want to make it seem like that. But when we're talking about giving him the MVP, that's a little bit of a harder bridge for me to cross when I know that he's – I just can't quite get there on that. Um, but I think he's having an outstanding season, certainly deserving of being a Pro Bowl, probably an All-Pro um, where he's at in his efficiency of play. Um, but I, McCaffrey's the guy, the me, that makes that offense go. You lose McCaffrey, not that the offense is bad, but it's not a juggernaut like it is right now. That's fair. Brother Bob says that uh, Brandon's doing drugs. <laughs> no, let's go. Let's go. Gosh. Uh, Jordan says, is it just me or some Seahawks fans going overboard about the Adams tweet? It 100% was a low blow, but the things I have heard kind of make me cringe. Yeah, unfortunately, I think there's craziness that that is a part of every fan base, man. And, and ours is not above that either. There's some jerk-offs that that really bring it down for everybody. I haven't paid a lot of attention to it. I, I will say I thought what Adams did. Uh, I understand his frustration. I get it. It's It's got to be annoying being criticized by a guy who doesn't actually do what you do and can't do what you do. So I understand the frustration there. I, I think him deleting the tweet, regardless of what he says, I stand behind it. No, you don't because you would have kept it up if you stood behind it. I, I think that he knew that it was a bit of a low blow and that's why he removed the tweet as well, regardless of what he's saying. So, but I haven't seen some of the responses from people. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I saw some of this, for instance, this year with the, you know, we've got a, at times there's segments of the fan base that do get certain sensitivity to certain things that cause them to really jump up. I mean, DK had some penalty issues this year, and it was like there was people jumping up and down to like, we got to get move this out. It's, just, it's like it gets a little bit over the top. I, I think that there is a place that this is going to reach that I think you can relate to. I'm, I'm certainly your cohort can out there. Grants to, had to deal with this at times, which is that there, there needs to be a place that we come to with the players and their understanding of what's going on here, where there's this big thing that they get up in arms with. You know, you didn't play the game. 
Um, who's anybody to criticize us? Uh, we're out here laying our, our blood and guts on the line. How dare what you just, you, you get to say whatever you, you don't know what you, and, and it's the thing that you see with that. A lot of times with these guys, they act out emotionally and I get that, but you're multimillionaires playing a child sport. Don't talk to me about, I've got to hold you up in some reverence to where you're above the law as far as being criticized, especially when you aren't playing well and when you aren't doing well. And, and there does seem to be this thing of with some players on this to where it's like, you have this expectation that you are above being criticized on it. And if you play like crap, you play like crap, own it, own the fact that you play like crap. Don't look for excuses. Don't look for calling out people or personally attacking them because that's going to make you feel better than you can like somehow deflect the criticism at hand. And uh, it's a place that I see online with players and not to me, I've never really dealt with it, but I've seen it in other places at times. And it's kind of like, you know, especially if the criticism is fair, which the guy didn't say anything. He said, yikes, that's, that's not a low blow on Adams. It was a horrible play by Adams in coverage. It, it is a play that's worthy of a yikes. Um, so he's that he was not aligned with that, but I find a lot of these players go to that place where, you know, they will, and you see them, they'll blow up on guys and get real personal and start insulting them that. And it's just, you go to look, we're not going anywhere. People that do this online stuff or talk players wise, we're not going anywhere. So, you know, you can complain about it and moan about it. You don't look better for it. You come off looking horrible for it. And the fact of the matter is, is that this is also a part of what makes this game so interesting for people. It's the the talking, the discussing is part of what makes this go. It's not necessarily us, but I, and again, this isn't even stuff that I've had to deal with, just what I've seen from other people I have to deal with out there, especially reporters who seem to be at times in the crosshairs of these players with some of their comments that they go at them. And it's like, look, they got a job to do speaking truth to power. And you can, you can hate that, but that's what they're there to do. That's what we're all kind of here to do in analyzing this. And that's going to lead us to sometimes saying some great things about you and sometimes leading us to say some not so great things about you. But boy, they've gotten sensitive in this modern age, these, this, this, these modern players. And uh, I wish they would kind of learn it. Like you're, you're multi-millions of dollars doing this. You're playing a kid's sport. You ain't getting up nine to five and going in and put on suit. Like put it in perspective a little bit, you know, put in perspective of what you're doing a bit. And I, I, yeah, I didn't get overboard on Adam's tweet, but I do think some of these guys, come on. You know, you can deal with it. We can all, we all get critiqued. You and I get critiqued. You deal with it. All right. You don't freak out and, and start railing on the people that critique you. Okay. All right. Appreciate your perspective. Moving on. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting because I definitely see both sides. I, I think that there is an element of, um, there's a difference between critique in the end and just sending low blows or, or, you know, we've had it happen a couple of times in, in the chat. And I know it's it's more so joking when it's happened here, but I try my best to refrain from, oh, a player's trash. Now, I'm not saying I haven't said those things. I, I'm a fan too, and I, I, get, <laughs> I get amped up, right? But yeah. I, I try my best not to, to use description words like that, and I just try to analyze what I'm seeing and say what went well and what, what didn't, um, why I think they're a good player, why they're not, and, and lay out my case. Versus just saying, oh, they're trash or they're garbage or whatever, because I, I do think that there is a line. And I think if I'm if I'm going to talk about players, then then there is a line that I know that I shouldn't cross either. I, I can't be personal with these guys. I that would be unfair. It's unfair to say that they're trash or whatever. Like those things are not fair. But then the flip side of that is players have to know they're going to be criticized. And to your point, I mean. Listen, it was something I didn't account for when I started this. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of the 49ers and I'm meeting great people and I'm talking about the team. I do this with my friends anyway, so why not do it on YouTube and whatever? And there was that that 
definitely that element of surprise that as the channel grew much faster than I ever expected, that something that I do quite frankly for, for fun and because I love it definitely results in a lot of criticism. And, and I didn't necessarily expect that. And there were times where I'm like, God, is this, is this really worth it? Like, I'm just trying to talk about the game, you know, but ultimately my desire to do it and have fun and, and engage with most people does overcome that. But the point is, is that me doing this part-time and, and, definitely not making uh, full-time money on this or, or able to feed my family from it. If I can overcome criticism and take criticism and I do daily in my chat for a take that I have that maybe somebody disagrees with or whatever have you, then you who are also on a, a much bigger stage than I'm on making much more money and more than feeding your family, you're, you're making people rich for generations. Listen, you're not above criticism. You're just not. And and you have to get over yourself and thinking that you are. And it doesn't mean that I don't I you're not human and that you can't lash out every once in a while. I'm listen, I'm not above that. I feel mm. like if somebody gets personal, I'm probably gonna respond in a, a crazy manner or an out-of-pocket manner. I've done that myself. I get it, I understand it, but I'm not gonna stop criticizing you as a player if I don't think that you're playing good. I'm I'm just not. But I'm also going to praise you if i think that you're doing well also i think that that's where where you have to find the balance i yeah. i i people can't always criticize you have to also praise when somebody does well and and jamal being a, a player that you have been in the past i'm sure you've received tons of praise throughout your career now that maybe you're not playing as well criticism is is fair and warranted also Great points. I can't, you know, I, I'm in the same boat with it. And I think too, you, it's not a shock. You're not coming into the NFL going, well, I'm being criticized on Twitter. You knew this coming into it. And like you said, do I really mm -hmm. want to do this? You have ultimate control of this in the way to avoid criticism and all that, which is that you didn't have to play. No one's putting you out there and forcing you to go through. Many of you guys got college educations and go get a job and no one will criticize you, but your boss. And if you do your job, nobody will. So, you know, there's ways to definitely avoid that. And if you put yourself out there, and I'd say being an NFL player is putting yourself out there, then you are going to be for the both the good and the bad. And like you say, it's you do have to balance it. And that's the part where when you have a take or an outlook on something, you want to be sure of it and, and give yourself time to really make sure rather than the knee-jerk, though knee-jerk happens because we are emotional. Um, but it's it, itself, it's fair criticism is criticism. You're right to on the fire versus fire. If somebody's going to be disrespectful, sure, you got a right to be disrespectful back. But if somebody's being respectful on the front end of their criticism, then... That's not the fire requirement is not needed then. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. See, here we go. What's up, Samir? He thinks my QB takes sync. So there you go. There's the criticism, right? Is it? Well, maybe it's my quarterback take. I don't know. It could be either one of ours. I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, I think I've definitely had some bad quarterback takes. I don't, you know, I'm not above that, but, uh, I think if you look at the the history and we've gone through some of them, I think I've done pretty dang good. I think I've done pretty good on. I, I hear your criticism one eighty seven, but uh, I got some receipts I could show you that are are pretty good too. But uh, you know, hey, there we go. Criticism happens with everybody. Matt, <laughs> this is getting back to the comment war. Matt says, "Period red is better than Shrek stains." <laughs> fair, fair. fair. Uh, Matt has also in the last day or so labeled himself a 49er comment creator, which I love that. I think that's a great, great, great thing. 
Brother Bob says, but she's fugly though. Just curious, four out of 10. I listen, I'm not going to rate any female and especially live here. I'm a married man. I, it was a low blow. It was a low blow. All right. Um, brother Bob says, but the sea hags are trash. Facts are facts. All right, brother Bob. Well, I mean, your feelings are, uh, very strong tonight. I love it. When, and this is what happens when we play the Seattle Seahawks. Passions are coming out. Things get a little bit crazy. Uh, Matt says Purdy over Herbert is a bad take. I agree. That's a bad take. Uh, I, I don't even want to get into it. It's <laughs> I'm not even bringing anybody into it. It happened. And I vehemently disagree with it. Also, that being said, Brandon just gave us two hours and 15 minutes of his time. I appreciate you, Brandon. My You're friend. awesome. As no. always, chat, you've been awesome as well. Appreciate y'all. Stay blessed. I'll be back tomorrow with Larry Likely. Don't know what channel yet. We got to figure things out. But either way, appreciate y'all. Talk to you later. Peace.